1: Hey, welcome to episode 298 with my guest, Laura B., who was the woman in the front row of last week's episode uh, with Murray Valeriano. Uh, This week's episode is sponsored by Casper Mattresses. It is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price, combining springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Right now, listeners can get 50 bucks towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash mental and using the promo code mental. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads. From medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Uh, MentalPod is also the Twitter handle you can follow me at. But go check out the website. Uh, fill out a survey. Uh, they're anonymous, and maybe we'll read your survey on the show. Uh, even if we don't, a lot of people report... Um, after they take the survey and they write out stuff that they have never really written out or said out loud, they find it to be very cathartic. And the surveys are honestly kind of like the the second guest on the, on the show. They're a very, very big part of it, and it helps us get to know um, you guys. So uh, you can do that. You can join the forum at the website. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs. Um we now have uh, books that we've recommended on the show. Um, I have a little Amazon store. If you go to, on our homepage, if you go to the buy stuff page, um, there's two sub pages. One is uh, for donating to the show and the other is to buy things. And um, when you click on the one to buy stuff, um, you can um, do a generalized search of Amazon, or you can buy our coffee mugs, uh, t-shirts, etc., etc., stuff like that. If you just want to see the um, books that we're recommending, on the front page of our um, website, just click on the Amazon logo, and our little uh, Amazon store pops up. And on that page right there, it says books we recommend, Kindle books we recommend, and you also have the option of doing a general browse uh, through through Amazon. And if you buy anything, uh, we get a little uh, kickback from Amazon, and it goes a long way towards keeping this show going, and we can always use more uh, financial support. So it's much, much appreciated. Um, i you know i I often say that I try to keep politics off the podcast because i the last thing I want is this podcast to become divisive. I don't want anybody to leave the party um, and I've been struggling with this because there is a thread of rage and mental illness in this election that I can't ignore. I'm not gonna talk about any particular candidate. I'm just gonna talk about the um the vitriol of people posting on Facebook, the things that people say um when they're being interviewed, you know, about the candidate they support or don't support and it just seems to be getting angrier and angrier and and as i watch these people and it's not limited to to one candidate um but you know there there is one candidate who i, who I believe it's a little worse than the others but it's not about that candidate what what has been striking me lately is it seems like people's own personal shit is really coloring their view of who they like or don't like, what uh, topics they think are important, and it just struck me as, you know, working on yourself and finding out where your anger is coming from so that you're not letting that bleed into your decisions as a citizen, that's a patriotic thing to do. I think we should all go to therapy just as a healthy form of self-interest, But the byproduct of that is we get to be better citizens. We get to be better, you know, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I can tell you if I hadn't gone to therapy, I would be driving drunk right now. Uh, America would be a little bit less safe. And I would still be blaming everybody else for all of my problems. And after I got sober and I started going to therapy, now, now granted, I'm still an asshole, but much, much less of an asshole than I used to be. And I'd like to think that I can dispassionately look at the issues without my personal rage um, coloring that. And I fear for America because it seems to be um, really escalating and nobody's really listening to each other uh, much anymore. And I worry that we've passed the point of no return. And so I just want to say, if you really consider yourself to be a patriot and you would go to any length for this country, go to therapy. Go to therapy. Find out where your anger is coming from so that you can stop confusing your issues with the issues. All right, let me take down my soapbox now. Um Hey, for those of you near the uh, Berkeley area, I'm coming up on Monday, October 17th. I'm going to be part of a uh, Mental Health in America panel at uh, UC Berkeley, and um, it's open to the public. Uh, The panel is going to be hosted by the Berkeley Forum and the National Alliance on Mental Illness chapter uh, at Berkeley and sponsored by Each Mind Matters, and I'll be talking about some of the political medical and social angles that america needs uh to take to move mental health uh forward along with uh, two other people mason turner who is chief of psychiatry at kaiser permanente and donna Hardiker, who is the director of the wellness works group Um, and tickets are free uh, but you need to reserve them i'll put a link under the show notes for this episode on our on our website but uh come join us and uh, enjoy l- watching how stupid I look uh, compared to uh, people who are professionals. So uh, you might want to bring some video and then blackmail me uh, with it. Uh, hey, I want to welcome a new sponsor that we have to uh, to the show, uh, Cricket Shirts. It is... Uh, their shirts are really cool. They sent me one and I really dig it. It's... Um, It's a golfing shirt, but it's also a shirt that you can wear when you're done golfing. Uh, Anybody that golfs will tell you that the way shirts are designed nowadays, they're great for swinging a golf club, but it's like you're wearing a weather balloon. And it it looks like shit once you leave the, the golf course. Actually, let's be honest. It looks like shit when you're on the golf course, but it doesn't restrict your swing. Anyway, inspired by the classic designs of... Great golfers like Nicholas Palmer um, and non-golfers, uh, non-professional golfers like JFK, etc. Um, they came up with a, a better designed shirt. Something that you can wear on the golf course and after the golf course. Um, it's not too baggy. It's not too skinny. It's got a removable collar stay, so your collar looks good. It stays. It doesn't look like bacon collar you know, uh, they have no hassle, uh, free returns and exchanges. I love the shirt that I have. It fits perfectly. Um, I can uh, rotate so that I can make sure I can hack a golf ball into the woods uh, next time I get out on the course. Um, and I think my favorite thing is the material that it's made out of. It is so soft. It's hundred percent certified organic cotton. And I, I said uh, to the, to the Person that sent me the shirt, you seriously need to make bed sheets out of this fabric because it. I want to sleep in it. So, for 20% off your first purchase, uh, visit cricketshirts.com/mental and enter the promo code mental at checkout. That's spelled C R I Q U E T shirts.com/mental. And don't forget the uh, promo code MENTAL at checkout. One more time, I'm going to spell it for you. Because I know some of you weren't paying attention. You were sitting and thinking about your doomed future. It's cricketshirts.com slash MENTAL. And Cricket is spelled C-R-I-Q-U-E-T. Um, so yeah, go do that. That would be a great way to support support the the, uh, the podcast and our fantastic advertiser. Um want to read a couple surveys, and then we're going to get to the uh, the interview. I hope you guys listened to last week's interview before you hear this one. It's with, um, last week's episode is a really powerful one with uh, Murray Valeriano, um, and there was a woman in the front row, uh, as Murray started to get emotional, um, talking about something he'd never really dealt with before. This woman um, uh, offered, I asked, I put a question to the audience, and she spoke up and really um, comforted Murray in a way that brought tears to his eyes and I thought I need to interview her. So this is her episode. Uh, Here are a couple of struggle in a sentence surveys. Uh, This is maybe the best name ever. This is from running from my problems and still in terrible shape. Fuck, that is hall of fame uh, about her depression she writes feeling like i'm doing better only to remember that i haven't showered in a week and my laundry is still in the public washing machine where i left it four days ago oh my god about dissociation like all the joy and sadness in the world is on the other side of a thick pane of soundproof glass oh my god do i know that feeling um Coming Actually, more for me with depression, but a snapshot from her life. Coming out of a dissociative spell at the end of a lecture to realize I haven't heard a word that the professor said, but hey, at least I made it to class today. Uh, Tim writes about his depression, uh, bipolar. Crashing and burning after a manic episode, looking back at the burned bridges, lost possessions, and empty bank accounts with a hint of longing for how you felt and a lot of confusion around where your depression comes from, the shitty situation your manic episode created, or the illness. Uh, put the fun in fungi. Fungi? Fungi. Idiot. Um, I don't think I was hard enough on myself right there. Uh, she writes about her PTSD. How do I tell a coworker that tapping me on the shoulder makes me want to hide under the table? Um, about being a sex crime victim. Uh, when, when in dating is the best time to bring up childhood molestation as the reason why you can't stand being touched. Is that like a third date topic or dot, dot, dot? Um, about being phobic to touch goes for a handshake. The person laughs. We're closer than that. They pull me in for a hug and I feel like a bird trapped between a cat's claws. Evidently, we don't know each other as well as you thought. Um, thank you for sharing that. And I don't know the answer to how you handle all those things. Um, but I'm sorry that you have to deal with them. And um, I'm sure there's got to be some way that people could suggest to state your needs um, in a way that minimizes how awkward or uncomfortable you feel, but you have every right to protect your personal space. And um, yeah, sending you some love. Uh, Warrior Wounds writes about her anxiety, basically, uh, social anxiety, basically making sure I can hate myself before anyone else does. Oh my God. It's one of the reasons why I bag on myself on the... Uh, On the podcast is because I immediately hear that mean DJ voice in my brain, um, which is really just like uh, what I anticipate the listener is thinking and about to email me. And so I'm trying to cut it off at the pass. Uh, all My Stupid Sorrows writes about her depression. My puppet body pretends to be a real person while my heart and mind are buried somewhere far away. Oh my God, that is so profound and so true. Um, snapshot from her life. The feeling of relief as I get into my car at the end of the workday is the closest I get to happy all day. We talked about that. That the joy of that moment. Um... On, on, I think it was last week's podcast, and I so get that, my God. It is that quiet when the elevator door is shut or your car door shuts and you've been having to interact with people for hours. It is like laying in a beanbag chair made of cotton candy. I, I want somebody to create that. Useless pity party. Writes about her cutting. The fact that my office is the temperature of a refrigerator made for a great excuse as to why I wore long sleeves all summer. Snapshot from her life. Standing in front of the bathroom mirror at work and willing my face back into its professional mask. I have four more patients to see before the end of the day and all I want to do is lay down on the floor and go to sleep. I am so depressed and so tired of faking it. You are not alone. You are not alone with that. There are so many of us that know that feeling, I'm sending you some love. And then uh, this one is by uh, a guy who calls himself Sad Sack Sugar Tits PhD. I'm so glad that he stuck around for the extra schooling because a master's um, is is just not cutting it when your last name is Sugar Tits. Um, one of his issues is um, irrational hate and anger. And he writes, I don't care what temperature it is, what is acceptable in your culture, or what task you are doing. If you wear open toed sandals in public and I'm exposed to your disgusting, overgrown, fungi infected feet, then I hope you die a slow and painful death. I would bet that there's some people listening to this um, thinking, uh, fuck you, I wear sandals. And some people thinking, right on. I fucking hate looking at people's uh, disgusting... And especially when there's that that little toe where it looks like a Frito. If your little toe... The people that... We should pass a law that the people that sell sandals have to look at your little toenail first before they'll sell you one. Uh, And then about his codependency, he, he writes... If I don't pick up the phone, it's because I'm legitimately busy. If you don't pick up the phone, it's because you finally realized that I am a horrible person. I fear that I'm inadequate. I fear that I'm
0: inadequate. So recently I've been punching myself a lot. Sometimes I feel like my full-time job... Mental illness. ...is convincing myself... I'm so alone. ...why... Hypervigilant. ...I should try to do something. I hate my kids seeing me like that. I just imagine killing people. I woke up with rats in my hair. They warp reality. Am I losing myself or am I becoming myself? I go back to bed. Hiding underneath the sofa while people were shooting outside the house. I was able to get myself out of Scientology. Put a gun to my mother's head and...
1: I'm here with Laura, whose voice you have heard before. She was the woman in the front row uh, for the Murray Valeriano episode. Uh, She's a listener. It was a live show. And um, as Murray began to confront on stage the reality of what happened when he was 15 and lost his virginity to a 32-year-old tutor, um, he got very emotional. Uh, on stage and there was this moment of silence and for some reason the universe just popped this thought into my brain to ask the audience if they had anything they wanted to say to murray at that point and laura you were sitting in the front row and do you remember what you said to murray
0: yeah i just uh, let him know that i related to his story um I, too, was a part of a church congregation that did not protect me from my abuser, even though um, our, my story was out and there was a restraining order, but he still was very much an active member in this uh, church group and was also an elder. So I felt super compelled to just share my story with him to hopefully bring some sort of comfort because we could relate on the same level.
1: And do you remember what you thought or felt when we oh. were talking to murray
0: yeah like i just i understood like been there done that um i felt really bad that you know he's up there bearing his soul and that he had never had any formal counseling or had talked about this in that type of environment and that i just i just wanted to hug him like it's going to be okay it, it gets better and that you know that he was super brave you know i don't I don't think I would be able to share my story if I were in his position.
1: The thought of because you and I have both been through the healing Mm -hmm. from childhood sexual trauma Mm -hmm. and we know what those moments are like as you begin to speak your truth Mm -hmm. and how shaky, how wobbly your knees feel, how terrified you are that somebody's gonna say you're a liar or an exaggerator what are you making a big deal about this you're doing this for attention whatever and the thought of having that moment in front of an audience Ah. is which so i was kind of torn as the host because i didn't want to exploit this really tender moment but i also wanted to um i don't know have it be like a a moment of enlightenment for us definitely uh, the listeners uh, and you and me and other other survivors so it was a, it was a, a, a weird uh, kind of I don't know a, a very narrow thing to, to, <laughs> yeah. to navigate um, and you asked Murray would you like a hug and you remember what he
0: said he's got this funny look on his face he's like sure <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was it was amazing because at first it was like okay i'm hugging a stranger and then i felt like the hesitation leave his body and then just to be able to embrace him in that moment like as two survivors in that moment like i mean you said it best like is there anything better no like get, i get you a no hug you from a survivor me. yeah absolutely absolutely nice i spoke to him i messaged him earlier today asking him because I was feeling so nervous about today, and you know, kind of making myself a little sick, and you know, is it worth it? Did you know? Do you have regrets now? And he's like, "No." Like the outreach from your listeners have been so positive and so amazing that he is feeling so good about his experience that um, he's like, "Do it." So I said, "All right." So I got in the car. <laughs>
1: what What were your hesitations for for coming here and talking about
0: it? Um, you know, I've been talking about my story. since i was 11 so it's not the sharing i think maybe because it's permanent once it once it's on the internet it's permanent yeah and that's kind of scary i'm very fortunate that facebook wasn't around when i was in high school and being crazy Mm -hmm. um but and you're how old i'm 33 okay yeah so it just feels it's so real not that it wasn't real before and then i was and I haven't felt this way in a long time, but the questioning is, is the story of value? Is it enough? Did I go through enough to, you know, be worth listening to? So I called my friend Sarah, who turned me on to your uh, podcast, and she's like, are you kidding me? And she read me the riot act about, you know, what kind of people have been on here and I belong here. And yeah. Um. so, you know, I was definitely given comfort by her. And, and so now it's just exciting. I mean, I'm shaking like nobody's business, but... Yeah.
1: Well, before we get, because I want to know what the what the 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 fears are. If there's any more fears other than what you just listed, but um, I talked to you very briefly after the podcast because I was uh, after we did the live recording because I was so struck by your focus and your confidence on the topic, and you were clearly somebody who had done a lot of inner work and had built this resolve mm-hmm. this this foundation that you were speaking from you, it just radiated from you mm-hmm. and yeah. that's why i wanted to have you as a guest is because but just the snippet that, that you shared with me um is is it's heavy it's heavy uh what what are the before we get to your story any other fears around uh talking right now and by the way we can always take your name off and and just say uh we're talking with laura laura b
0: that's perfect yeah yeah um yeah um i i am very comfortable with my story and i have done a lot of work i think um i think it's just the microphone other than that um i know my truth and i know how hard i've worked to be here and how proud i am of myself to be where i am that um i'm not worried about anything negative really coming from it i've just never been in this environment before
1: yeah so well i appreciate you taking that leap of faith um so where should we start your story
0: Um, On my notepad of life over Uh here, I have all the way back to when my mom and my dad met. (laughs) Okay, that
1: that might be too far, but (laughs)
0: if there's something that you think is important. Well, she was uh, eight or nine years his senior and was his bartender underage, so. Oh, that's interesting. I know. Um, Yeah, my mom. How old were they when they? My dad uh, was 19, so my mom would have been about 27.
1: Yeah, I I don't see anything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I don't see anything like that's fucked up you no know no, what I no, mean? no 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 it's just no. like oh
0: that's a pretty big age gap for that age but totally
1: i don't see anything that's like
0: no it, i mm. guess because my mom already had two kids from another marriage and my dad was a single child an only mm. child so i think he had said this in the past that it was like an instant family so for him he sees this two these two beautiful young girls and my mom you, who, you being one of them no no that my two older sisters okay there's a lot of us and um he's like all right instant family and then they got married and uh in illinois and moved out here um and no boundaries in my family was conceived on the way here (laughs) and uh have we shared with you (laughs) yeah uh yes and uh there we go i was born and then in case you forgot i was born and, and uh, they
1: named you Route 66. And yes. And then you legally changed your name. Yes, when I turned 18. To Laura.
0: Yeah, it was uh, it was rough, but, you know, nobody confused me with anybody. And then
1: we're going to call you Grand
0: Canyon, but then they thought <laughs> that's a terrible name for a girl. I got that later <laughs> in college. No, uh, just kidding. I didn't go to college. No. <laughs> um, yeah, They. my mom uh, cheated on my dad with my stepdad, and then um, that you know that started uh just the kind of the divide in you know my family and for me and then um my dad was really unwell he was handicapped uh went blind when i was about four and um, needed a kidney transplant and never really was capable of fighting for me so his mom my grandmother who has time and time again been my savior really in um in this life um, fought for me fought for custody and fought to have time with me. And my mom, oh, she'd go to court and put on the waterworks of, um, oh, I take my children to church and I do this. Meanwhile, when she was out, you know, trying to coax my stepdad to marry her, um, we were living in, I believe a crack house of some sort. So my oldest sister is 14. My, uh, sister number two was 10 and, or no. I was two, so they must have been, yeah, 10, 14, and I was two, and the oldest was, you know, wrangling us together and trying to keep us safe while my mom was doing whatever she was doing. Looking
1: for Mister Brady.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, and my grandma offered, let them stay with me, let them stay with me, and mom wasn't having it. Her she ego being, couldn't no,
1: couldn't deal with it.
0: Could not deal, and um, so when they got a place, we moved in with them, and that was it. That was it,
1: you know. Uh, so you were raised by your mom?
0: My mom and my stepdad, um, and then my father remarried at... And then,
1: he, then he's, uh, at this point, he is...
0: Got his transplant, got better. Um, oh, so but, he can see now? Uh, no. Okay. He still lost his vision when I was... Or he lost his vision when I was four, but the the transplant kind of made him more functional in I society. See. I sure. thought you meant an
1: eye uh, no corneal transplant or whatever. no they tried but
0: it it yeah. never it never took and he he lost his vision completely when i was 4 um but he met a lady at church knocked her up then they got married and um that's when i really started to feel not a part of any family because my little sister was born with my mom and my stepdad and then my brother was born with my stepmom and my dad and it was always pushing me back and forth if my you know
1: you were the only link between yeah your mom and your dad
0: definitely and um you know my stepdad would say things like you're not family and we lived in the same trailer park and when my stepmom was like oh like she'd had enough of me because i was kind of a weird kid she would just tell me to go home even though the day before she's like this is your home i'm your mom too until she couldn't handle me and then it would be go home
1: wow you had no footing no. No footing.
0: No. You know, when my grandma was around, I always wanted to be around her. And my stepmom would get so mad, like, you know, why don't you want to be with us? Why don't you be with us? But with my grandma, I always felt unconditionally loved. You know, I mean, she was kind of a harsh lady growing up. But, I mean, I always knew that she loved me. Like, you know, and she brought me that comfort that I didn't really get anywhere else.
1: And it uh, sounds like protection. Like, you could sense that here's, here's a woman that has a sense of my needs And is not putting hers ahead of them.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I've heard stories about being one and a half, two years old, and my grandma would be trying to give me back to my mother, you know, after custody visits or whatever, and I would be clawing away from my mom. Like, at that age, you're supposed to want to be with your mom. And I was, like, intuitively knew, like, this lady's crazy, and I need to not be in her arms right now, like, fighting to get away from her.
1: Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. It is so sad. Yeah. Um, So... You bounced back uh, back and forth between yeah mom and dad's place until what age and and you never got to live uh, full time with your grandmother just visit no
0: Mm-mm. just just when I, under two until they because when my parents moved out here from Illinois they moved in with my grandmother so other than that no um, yeah I bounced back and forth from parents' who, house who who
1: moved in with your grandmother.
0: I'm sorry. My when my mom, my biological mom, and my dad were married, uh-huh. they lived with my grandma when they moved out here from Illinois.
1: I see. Then they sure. split up,
0: In and that was, so, yeah. I that see. Was the end of that.
1: I, di- I didn't understand that your grandmother was out here.
0: Yeah, she okay. moved out here first, and then my dad came to follow. And when
1: we say here, uh, Southern California.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, boy, you were
1: ripe for a predator.
0: They absolutely my uh my stepmom's uh father um was my own personal pedophile and uh he i know that Um, back up this was this was what what person my stepmother's father okay so step-grandfather
1: you you know, uh, right out of the gate, this is one of the, you know, it's a fucked up story when out of the gate, I'm having to flow chart in my mind who is related to who and who's fucking over who. And <laughs> I almost need to break out the dry erase board. <laughs> totally. here's yeah. my
0: bed. Yeah. Uh, uh, so go ahead. So sometime between, it was definitely between five and seven. I don't remember exactly when it started. But I remember at my brother's second birthday, um, I would have just turned seven. Um, my sister was in town. I think she had lived in Florida or something like that, my oldest sister, number one. Um, and I was all up in her business, crawling all over, super happy to see her. And she was like, Ugh, get off of me. Go sit on your grandpa's lap. And when she said that, like I felt the blood drain from my face. And I did not want to go over there. but you know, as a kid, I didn't know how to advocate for myself. So I just like, there's a room full of 15 people and I've got to go drag myself over and sit on this man's lap, And, you know, that's, he was very covert about how he would touch me. He would do it in public. Like he would pull my body against um, his erection or, you know, graze past me when um, people were around and grab my non-chest area or um he's very sneaky and sly about it and
1: now had anything happened between you and him at this point had had you experienced the creepy I, uh, oh yeah oh okay so and i that's how
0: i knew like i because that's how i knew that it started before then i see because i was already terrified yeah. to go over there but knew that i couldn't say anything
1: And, um, and did you know at that age that that, what, what an erection was? I see. But in hindsight, you look back and go, oh, that's what that was. Yeah. Okay.
0: It wasn't until years after the abuse was over. Like when I, um, when I came out about my story in sixth grade, I told my best friend and she, I'm like in music class, you know, I have something to tell you. And she's like, what, you fail a test? And I'm like. I'll tell you at recess and we get to recess and I'm mumbling at her and she's like, I can't understand what you're saying. And I'm like, I'm being abused. And I ran to the bathroom and slammed the door and was like, how can I kill myself? and I'm looking at the toilet. Like maybe if I stick my head in there, I can drown or something like that. And, um, she went and got my teacher and, uh, then they got the principal and my teacher just embraced me. And it was the first time I ever felt safe with other than my grandmother with an adult, like I just felt so like it was gonna be okay. And she's like, you know, Mrs. Such and Such is gonna know what to do. And um What'd that feel
1: like? I mean you said like safe. a
0: weight, yeah, like a weight lifted off of me and when um Child Protective Services and the police got there, um this super manly woman, um I, she was just like she was like a cross between a police officer and like you know, a nineteen seventies female PE teacher. Like she was just mm-hmm. this super masculine lady and um she's she asked me, Did it feel like a hot dog or a banana? And I'm like, A banana? And it wasn't until years later that I went, Ah, the banana. <laughs> like but it stuck in my brain as uh I, I still didn't know. I didn't understand what that meant. You know. I'm not sure I understand what what was a firm or soft. A banana is firmer than a hot dog. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Okay. I'm like, it's getting weird. I thought no. <laughs> I thought it was
1: more about the the shape.
0: Oh no no the okay. the texture. I don't yes. Yeah. So um yeah it was uh yeah that was that was really intense and um you know I was such a lonely lonely kid and you know I'd walk home from school by myself and my mom would yell at me you know don't walk out don't walk by yourself on the way home from school in like second grade. So, did anything come of this? I oh, it did. Um, I uh, so I that all happened, and they didn't tell my parents right away
1: because and and had more happened than uh, uh, sitting on his lap and the touching or, or was that the extent oh, of yeah. it? Oh yeah,
0: no, like um, you know, we'd be at, we'd be at parties and he would pull me against his body and kind of you know push himself against me. Or I remember one time I was at his house. And, um, he came over and sat on my lap and was tickling my knees. And, um, at some point he, he started to slide, he reached his hand behind me. It was after church, of course. And he's trying to <laughs> slide his hand up my dress and I'm maybe eight. And, um, you know, he's getting closer and closer to my genitals. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, it, it almost felt like if I let this happen, it'll be the point of no return. It was this really weird moment, and I just started hitting him as hard as I could, like, get off me, get off me, and I got louder. And I was like, get off me! And I, like, locked my arms out, and he stood up. Like, he, I mean, he, it jolted him. And I ran and hid in the bathroom until my stepmom was yelling for me, like, we need to go. And then I ran out of the, you know out of the bathroom and there was times where i'd stay the night at their house and i would just lay in a panic on the couch like please don't come outside please don't come outside and i i don't remember a lot anymore um i just was always terrified that like, that,
1: that sounds absolutely terrifying
0: yeah mm-hmm. absolutely and i think people forget especially
1: survivors when they are playing that game uh, where your brain is trying to tell you it wasn't that big of a deal yeah but one of the favorites of the brain is to say um, well you know it wasn't it, it wasn't that bad and one of the things it never thinks of because it it, it it will picture us as a little a version of us as an adult right but one of the things it never really pictures is the physical enormity Mm -hmm. of an adult and the deepness of the voice of an adult and how and the fact that we've been taught that adults always know right and don't question them. I was raised kids are seen and not heard. And there's so many mysteries in life that we don't even understand. You know, we barely understand how to tie our fucking shoes. Right. You know, and somebody does Something. something we is this just another of those things that I don't know about yeah but instead that mean part of our brain tells us no we we should have known we should have
0: oh definitely I remember asking myself and then later on my therapist like you know it was the 80s I had on bike shorts maybe I shouldn't have worn those to his house like you were eight you know eight. and it's You know it's crazy to think that now when i see somebody between the ages of six and eleven you know how that little girl like i like to refer her refer to her as little baby laura little baby laura like she was one tough cookie because i can't even imagine living in that type of discomfort now you know my dad albeit was blind was very physically abusive And I mean, he would beat the crap out of us when he would throw a temper tantrum and he was like a child. And just living in fear of his emotions at all times. And um, my, this is one of my favorite awful moments is that at some point I realized your dad is blind. I just would get quiet and go hide behind the recliner (laughs) until he, like, would stomp around the house, running into things, searching for me. And I just would cover my mouth and try to breathe quietly.
1: Throw a rock across the room. (laughs)
0: Totally. Totally. Like, over there. You know. And, uh, yeah. So, it just kind of makes me laugh. But now. But just being so terrified. He was ah, just being so terrified. Like, because his anger was so hit or miss. It wasn't all the time. It was... When he, for whatever reason, had hit his threshold of discomfort and would just lose it. You know, one of my bi- biggest memories was when my brother was two, so I was seven, and he had put away his um, uh, bathing suit shorts. And my dad would like walk us down to the pool, and he would, my dad would ride a bike and, oh yeah. With no sight. With no sight. At down the trailer park that we lived in used to be a drive-in theater so it had those really big dips in the street and so he'd ride down the center of the street and everybody knew who he was because he's the blind guy in the bike and you know he'd ride with my brother in the back and we'd go to the pool or he'd walk around you know the mobile home park and because it was confined you know mm-hmm. so he could you know and um so we get back from the pool and my brother put away his shorts and then my dad was where are your shorts and my brother freaked out at his like intensity that he couldn't remember where the shorts went and he lost it. He just starts beating the crap out of my brother. And I was like, who's two, who's two, who's two. And, um, I, at this point was like, if you want to hit somebody, you hit me. And I ripped my brother out of his arms and I tossed myself across his lap and he hit me until he was done hitting. Wow. You know, and he's an angry dude. You know, when, I came out about my stuff. um, It was suggested that maybe him and my stepmother go to therapy and he had talked about how he had a female uh, babysitter that sexually abused him. And he remembers hearing his mom drive up to the house and he said that she, you know, cleaned him up, whatever that means and put his clothes back on him and shoot him upstairs. And he left that session. If God wants me to be fixed, he'll fix me himself. And just never went there again. Never talked about it again. No. And I think not everybody's capable of doing what we've done, of facing our demons, of facing, you know, of opening Pandora's box or dealing with their story. Mm -hmm. And I think that was his story because my father wasn't hit growing up. My grandma wasn't abusive in that way. She was very Mm -hmm. neglectful. You know, as a single mom, you know, my dad survived the best that he could and Part of my therapy is trying to find compassion for him as a person um, because I had a lot of anger towards him, and uh, he just wasn't as strong as I was. You know, he, he passed away about four years ago. and Were you relieved? Kind of. You know, because I remember thinking people
1: are so ashamed to admit that they can't wait for a parent to die or they're relieved when a parent dies. And I just want to say, don't you're there are no right or wrong feelings. You know, if you're going up to that parent and saying, I can't wait till you die. Yeah, maybe you want to think of a
0: better route than than that. Maybe that's not the healthiest. But um, our last conversation was almost like that. It was pretty rough. Like. My dad just had excuses for everything, and he was very physically destroyed towards the end. And um, he was type one diabetic, and he never took care of himself. And there was a point in time where he he worked out pretty regularly. He ate like garbage, but um, he was the blind guy in the bus going to the gym. And um, but after all this came out with my step grandfather, like my stepmom and him got a divorce, and it was. That was just the end for him.
1: Uh, I've got to imagine that your step, the, the grandfather had molested th- your stepmom.
0: Right. Nobody else has come out. Like back in the day, I would get drunk and search him and I would come across on Facebook or social media. And- search
1: for the grandfather. Right. Or I guess technically it would be
0: step grandfather. Or-
1: Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: And I would see pictures of other people's children sitting on his lap and I would look at them until I would gag, and then just turn off my computer. Like, what? You know, when when I it must have been the first day that I said something that I was taken down to the local police department, and we called um, his house. And I don't know if this was before caller ID or not, but him and his wife both answered the phone at the same hello, yay, and. I had never called their home before. And I said, can I talk to you? And grandma stayed on the phone. Sure, honey, what's up? I'm like, no, I want to talk to grandpa. And he had stayed on the line. Hello? So she got off the phone and there was, you know, a computer in front of me that had, you know, 11 questions to ask him or so. And um, I'm asking, you know, why do you do this? Why, and I'm very, like, specific. There's nothing else that could be. Why do you touch me in those places? Why do you, you know, put my body against you? Why do you, you know? And he kept saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But he was so quiet, I couldn't hear him. And so finally, I was like, why do you do this to me? And he said, I don't know, but don't tell anybody, and I love you. And I just...
1: What, what did you feel in that
0: moment? Just disgust. Like, just go yourself. I mean, you know, I had quite a potty mouth at that point in my life. And so it was just ugh. and my mom is such a narcissist that she was excited to go to the police department and excited to have this kind of drama.
1: Because she can be the center of attention totally. and make it about her without oh, much
0: absolutely. effort. Absolutely. I mean, looking back, I, she was like floating. It was crazy. And, um, we got him, and they, there was a hearing and, of course...
1: And he was also a church elder?
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, at the hearing, he brought our pastor. And my father told me that the pastor said, it looks like you're pretty guilty. And that was the end. That was that. But my dad would just say "He that he didn't believe me, and he couldn't believe that it happened, and he couldn't believe that he would do such a thing.
1: But what, what did that feel like?
0: Oh, like garbage. Like, I... I remember writing a poem in seventh grade and it was basically about, yeah, the abuse was crappy, but the aftermath was so awful that I didn't know if it was worth opening my mouth because dealing with my mom being her and then my dad not believing me. And I remember the, I said something I believe in February and I remember in November I was laying on the couch in my stepmom and father's home and we had a cat and I had the cat laying on my chest and petting the cat and the grandparents were over, step-grandparents, creepy grandpa. And creepy grandpa comes over to like pet the cat and to which he starts touching my upper body and um, like my, my breasts. And at this point, like I went through puberty super early, so I had breasts and I was like ashamed of them and um, he...
1: And you would just freeze when this would happen?
0: At this moment, I looked him in the eyes and I said, don't touch me. And I rolled over in the cat's, you know, and uh, I turned my back to him. And I don't, I, I don't think that he touched me again after that. And I said something in February. Um, if he did, it would have been around Christmas time and I don't remember. But in that moment, I felt like I had taken my power back.
1: You know it's interesting of all the stories I've heard of kids being abused both physically and and I don't know necessarily emotionally, but physical and sexual abuse, every time somebody shares that they said, "Don't ever do that to me again," or you know grabs their power, I've never heard an instance where that person that adult does it again. It's almost like their that adult is wakened out of a fantasy that they're that they're living in definitely i mean what's your take i
0: felt i felt i feel like i felt his fear in that moment the same fear that i heard when i called him from the police department that day i hadn't thought about that till right now
1: so what what was done to him
0: (laughs) well um i'm assuming he pled no contest um because I thought it was not guilty, but looking back, I, I thought it was guilty, but it would make more sense if it was no contest. Um, and he said, uh, my stepmom had lupus, and my, his wife, so step-grandma, was going through something physically. And he said that he pled that because he didn't want to drag his family through any more pain because of the sickness that was going on. And uh, what a selfless guy. Oh my God. I know it's amazing. Father of five. Yeah. So I don't know if he didn't do anything to his blood. Um, my stepmom mentioned in the same therapy session that I was just telling you about with my dad. I'm assuming, I mean, they didn't go yeah. very long. Um, so one of the sessions that she said that her dad would go, like, have reasons to fix things in the bathroom when she was showering. And she was already in high school, I think, at that point, And she remembers feeling uncomfortable and not wanting to get out of the shower. But when she did, he would just stare at her. So, um, you know, usually I feel like pre-puberty is one thing and post-puberty is another. But, you know, I don't know. Um, so my mom was really into the after-school specials, right? And we watched one that was specifically on sexual abuse. And my mom was so hateful, and she was also physically abusive. Um, when she did hit you, you knew what you did. Versus my dad, that was super erratic. Um, but she was always so hateful in her tone. But every once in a while, she'd get this like creepy, like you would tell mommy. And she, lo- I'm seven, I think seven or eight. I must have been seven. And she said, you would tell mommy. If something like that was happening to you, right? And in that moment I was like, Yeah, I was lying. She didn't make me feel safe. You know, I mean she
1: And it was happening. At it that was time. already
0: happening, absolutely. You said
1: it happened from five to eleven? Mm-hmm. Somewhere in there. Wow, that's a long time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That is a long time. Wow. I'm so sorry you you um you had to experience that. Um
0: I have a five-year-old niece and I hung out with her on Sunday and I just, I'm thinking about her right now as we're talking about this because she looks just like the way my sisters and I did, even though we all have different fathers, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we all looked like her. And I'm like, fuck, like, I can't imagine, like, cause she has this beautiful little spirit and how, just how that is, was ripped from me you know and that used to make me cry like I used to cry for that little girl and now um i get to use my experience with other people you know it's been mostly women up until this point and it was really amazing with Murray to have the same interaction and feeling and support you know with a man um and then it feels the same you know it and it is and i i was always i feel like <laughs> I feel like if I was born any earlier, I would have been burning bras and been, you know, mm-hmm. a super feminist. Um, and it's amazing that when you can come together on these types of topics and subjects, um, it doesn't matter.
1: No, it really doesn't. Um, which is why I get so mad when um, sexual abuse is portrayed as it's it's men on women, and right. anything else is really just outliers
0: right right you know i was sharing with a client of mine about the podcast and this was a man that was not sexually abused and he was like we all had fantasies about our tutors and teachers and i had to explain to him like it was taken from him he didn't throw himself at her and she couldn't stop herself she invaded his life got him drunk and raped him And this man's 77 years old. We have a very comfortable relationship. He's also a recovering alcoholic. And it was like for the first time he'd ever seen how it could be the other way around. Mm. And he was, wow. You know? And
1: I I think that that also speaks to the power of fantasy, you know, that in, you know, I, I always try to tell people that have age, you know, uh, Fantasies that wouldn't be legal in reality—that uh, it's okay to have those. Just understand that reality would be a completely different thing, Absolutely. Um, which sounds obvious, but I—I'll get the—I ask the question a lot. You know, how do I know when my fantasy is crosses over into unhealthy mm-hmm. and? I don't know if there's any one answer for that, but my thought on it would be if it's degrading the rest of your life, if it's occupying so much of your head space. um, And I think the danger with somebody whose fantasy gets into that area is then that fantasy uh, begins to warp reality. And I think that was the case with your step grandfather is because he seemed shocked when you fought back like oh, yeah. it like you woke him up out of this alternate reality he had created to comfort himself or soothe yeah. himself or whatever it was to to um make him feel like the world was you know yeah okay I, for him
0: I definitely i mean i was such an isolated child i you know in school i tried to like don't pay attention to me and don't look at me and I, I didn't have many friends. And so I was just this quiet thing in the corner. And I'm wondering if, you know, because he would show me love or affection. And that was exciting. Somebody actually sees me. Unfortunately, he took advantage of that. But I'm wondering, you know, as you're saying that, is that like his, did he have some weird like God-hero complex? Like, oh, I can, I don't know. I don't know. I. I... The
1: thing that really sucks about it too, when it's somebody who's like a caregiver, or a, a, a relative, um, or somebody that where it was, there was like, um, where we felt moments of being uh, cared for by that person, is then you get the mind fuck of, was that ever real?
0: Absolutely. Or
1: was that just a fishing lure? Absolutely. And to people that, that aren't survivors, it you know, you talked about how the aftermath is so much worse. And I just had this image in my head of like the, the the sexual trauma or you know the whatever the violation whatever it was was like an earthquake at the bottom of the ocean mm-hmm. and then the tsunami is all the shit after that and it's so much wider spread and goes on for so much Absolutely. so much longer Um so you know, from what I've read in books and talked to therapists and the the hallmarks of somebody who has experienced that as a child is they're going to battle depression. Uh, not necessarily all of these, but a lot of these. Uh, anxiety. Uh, just say check if any of these apply to you. Oh, very uh, anxious. Anxiety. Uh, depression. Depression. Um, uh, Periods of being uh, sexually promiscuous mm-hmm. or completely sexually shut down, mm-hmm, both. Um, uh, abusing drugs and alcohol. Yes. yes. Um. Wa- wanting to isolate.
0: Definitely. Definitely.
1: Uh, having trouble uh, connecting to your feelings. Mm-hmm. Feeling numb. Yes. Um. What What other ones am I? Am I missing that?
0: I think. Anger.
1: Oh, I'm, suicidal, feeling suicidal. Definitely. Oh, my
0: one. gosh, definitely. When I was little before. Black and white thinking. Is black and, oh, very black and white. Very, yeah. very black and white. Um, that is still a struggle um, for me, black and white. You're good or bad. And, and and learning to accept that bad people can have good traits and good people can have bad traits, including myself.
1: When you think about the best movies, those are the, the ones where the characters are... The heroes are flawed, and the villains have, yeah. have nice things. And by the way, that list that I that I was saying, though, it, it, that doesn't mean that if you have a couple of these things, you were molested and, d- and didn't sure. know about yeah. it. There's yeah. you know, lots of other things share these traits, but this yeah. is just. Um, uh, yeah, I hope that makes sense. What Definitely, I, what I said.
0: Well, when I would, you know, after this happened, when I got my freshman year in high school, um, I would go to the library and pick out. Every book that I could find on sexual abuse, and even at that point, it was one out of every three or one out of every four American females will be sexually abused or assaulted by the time they're 18 years old. And the traits that children have, like, I was just a checklist, and I'd get angry, like, that – why did nobody notice? I had every single one of those – I fell into every single category of a child that was being abused – but nobody paid attention. Nobody paid attention. You know, my dad was too, you know, in love with being in love and trying to make that work, um, even though he was too messed up to make a relationship work. Um, My mom was a drug addict, you know, married to an alcoholic and they, you know, and they smoke pot pretty regularly. And, you know, I remember like, I wanna die. And the only way I knew how to die was knives and pills. So sometime between, you know, second and sixth grade, I would take the, I'd get up after everybody was asleep and I would get a butcher knife and I would lay it in my bed with me and be like, hopefully I'll just roll over it, not understanding like a sternum, but hopefully I'll just roll over it and be dead in the morning. Wow. I'd wake up, I'm not dead in the morning, go put the knife back, you know, and I wouldn't have budged, I'd be in the same spot. You know, and then one day I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a bunch of pills. The only pills I had access to were Flintstone vitamins, and that just constipated me. (laughs) So (laughs) I took a bottle of those, and my mom, why the hell did you, you know, they taste good, you know, whatever. And that was, you know, I just wanted to die all the time. Like, I just want to die. I sucked at school. You know, I remember fighting with, you know, why don't you pay attention in class? And In class, I'm just a wreck. You know, I'm a weird kid. We had fleas. I had fleas that would jump out of my clothes. Jesus. And like my first friend wasn't until I was 10 years old. I literally knocked on her door because the last new girl that came to school was hanging out with the popular kids. And I'm like, oh no, not again. So this girl, Elise, uh, I found out where she lived. She lived in the trailer park, knocked on her door <laughs> Hi, my name's Laura. Wouldn't be my friend. We've been friends ever since. <laughs> she couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> she, in a lot of ways, <laughs> she, she probably saved your life. That that friendship she saved with her, because you might have kept that. She saved my life. Secret, it She was my first love, man. Yeah. Like looking back, at you know, and and we had the normal like kid fights, and you know, she didn't come from. I thought she came from the perfect house, but I mean, they had their own story mm-hmm. as well. And I remember one time the cops were called, and it was my first time to shine. I was so excited that I knew what to do and how to be there for her in this moment.
1: <laughs> Been there,
0: done is that. awful. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're just going to sit here. I can here. handle this. I, I I'm got a this. Pro. Totally. I remember almost feeling happy. Tell your dad to get his shoes. Totally. <laughs> her stepdad, of course. It's yeah. a trailer park. Get it right. Yeah. <laughs> And uh yeah, I mean, she she did. And I, I asked her recently last year, like, how did that feel when I came to you? She's, she's, I was like, was that scary? She's like, No, I felt important. And I was like, that's how I felt when the cop showed up at your house. <laughs> and,
1: and that's what I always say to people who, who are like, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to ask for help. And I always say, but that gives that other person, not only will it help you, but that gives that other person a chance to feel meaning yeah. and purpose in their life and totally. to connect to you deeper and be of service and all these other yeah. good things. Yeah. Oh, my God. You, you were raised in a narcissist nest.
0: Oh my gosh. A narcissist yeah. nest.
1: Yeah. I like that. Um, so how did the trauma begin to express itself? Uh, in your- um,
0: I liked the- to fight people. Okay. But, um, especially boys, you know, cause I mean, before puberty, I mean, it's not here nor there. And, um, I gotten <laughs> two of my favorite fights were, uh, one was over Ninja Turtle cause it was the nineties. And, uh, This person thought that my best friend had, this boy thought that my best friend had the Ninja Turtle, and he called her a bitch, and I saw red. I mean, I lunged my fat little body onto this poor skinny little boy, and we rolled around. We're we're snorting and fighting and throwing things, and, you know, he was up on my chest. I wrapped my legs around his face and smashed his head into the ground. Like Wow. Meanwhile, everybody, I mean, he's two years older than me. I mean, like, everybody's standing around, and we had, like, the creepy 19-year-old that hung out with us. And What wait, what? Yeah, we had the creepy nineteen year old that would hang out hang out with us and we're like twelve and fourteen. What the fuck was that about? I'm sorry to get this off track, but you I don't can't know. let that pass by. Yeah, he was creepy. He ended up knocking up one of my friends. She had her kid at her, our sophomore year. Like, it's his, like the
1: Matthew McConaughey character from uh, Dazed and Confused.
0: <laughs> Not nearly as cool. Yeah. No. But, yeah, totally. And his younger brother, who was 17, actually, uh, like, pushed his body on me and made me kiss him when I was, like, 12. And that was, like, they were just gross people.
1: So uh, you're fighting this guy. And you're how old and he's old? I'm
0: 12 and Mm -hmm. he's 14. Okay. And uh, we both stand up. Like, he's like, I. and uh, we stand up and he bitch slaps me across the face. And you know, I've been hit my whole life. So I'm like, Rah! and I go to jump and get him. My buddy grabs me and I'm like a rabid beast, like trying to get at this kid. And then the 19 year old grabs him and is like, you know, get the fuck out of here. You know, if I ever see you around here again, I'll beat your ass, blah, blah, blah. To again. you or him? To, to the boy that I was fighting. I see. Mr. Ninja Turtle. Yeah. And, uh, and then he went and ran home. And so, uh, that that was that was fight that was favorite fight number one and favorite fight number two was me and the same girl are at the guy who grabbed me's house and his little brother who was mine and my best friend's age uh came home and we harassed this poor boy so much like a part of me feels like i need to make an amend because we were so mean to him and uh he was on the phone to a guy uh that we all grew up with in the trailer park and he said the bitches are over (laughs) and it wasn't that he called me a bitch it was that he involved elise
1: that's so funny yeah on the
0: giant cordless phone right the zach morris phone and i look at my friend the pretty woman phone (laughs) totally it was huge and like his arm was sweating (laughs) and i asked him can i go biddy up your brother and sure (laughs) it's my little brother why not so I go in, and he's taller than me, and I, I'm 5'4", and I grab him, I slam him against his oven, and I shake him. I'm like, who's the bitch now, motherfucker? Who's the bitch now? And he's got the phone like dangling in his right hand, and he's like, me. <laughs> i like, that's right. One more time, and then I like scurried back into the living room. Meanwhile, my two friends... Uh, are their jaws are on the ground? Like, what was that? I'm like, you said I could, and he's like, whoa, <laughs> like I was just not prepared for You're that. You're like the superhero that can stand up for anybody except herself. Y- yes, sir, totally. Especially when it came to her, like she, I, you know, would in my mind would do anything for her.
1: So what? What other ways uh, was was? Uh in hindsight now i'm Mm -hmm. sure at the time you didn't Mm -hmm. understand why you were acting the way you were doing Mm. or struggling with the Mm -hmm. way you were struggling but um just give give me some of the greatest hits of uh and and as we move forward okay in, in chronologically
0: um so after so now everybody gets a divorce like this is all done and whatever and Um, I get into junior high and he, he, my abuser was, uh, court mandated to pay for my therapy and I went for a little while, but once I got into junior high, I was, um, I found alcohol at that same house that Mm -hmm. I, uh, slammed that poor boy against his oven. Um, that was the first time I drank was at that house. And, uh, it was the first time I ever felt like I mattered. And from then on, anytime I could get alcohol in my body, it was on. I could not wait. And I could always drink a lot. It would kind of freak people out. Because at this point, um, my anxiety had gotten so high that I went from this chubby elementary school girl and I found boys and could not eat anymore. And I lost about 40 pounds one summer. And um, it I was just a wreck. And so here I am, this like hungry child looking for alcohol anywhere I could get it. And, um, so that I, uh, and then my interest in boys, I mean, I, now I realize it's me. It was me trying to take my power back, Mm -hmm. but also I have hormones. So, and nobody with, you know, having my grandma's influence and going to church, when I went to church, it was with grandma or with my, with my dad. Um, you know, it was all about abstinence. And don't let boys do this. Don't let boys do that. Meanwhile, my mom is sleeping with whomever and, you know, has this, you know, kind of a uh, kumbaya with sex situation. So I what, don't what, really. What,
1: is it, what does that mean?
0: Like everybody should just have sex. Like. Oh, it's natural I see.
1: It's, I see. Using the the hippie justification to have no boundaries around your uh, yes. children. Yes.
0: Uh, yes, oh my I'm God.
1: seeing that a lot in the surveys of, yeah. you know, bodies are beautiful. And well, you know what, if your nudity makes your child uncomfortable, respect your child's boundaries. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it didn't, I mean, I had all sisters and I was just like, oh, just, that's just my mom. I just, I I just always remember feeling uncomfortable when sex was brought up and not knowing where to put it in my brain because of what had happened to me. Plus, I don't even really know what it means. Did you feel
1: um dirty? did you feel like you were uh, perverted mm-hmm. uh, oh, when, definitely. When, when did that start?
0: I probably uh once I got like I didn't think the abuse was my fault because I hadn't I got enough therapy under my belt, but when the hormones kicked in and you know grandma's like boys are gonna want to fill in the blank and I didn't understand that I wanted them to and nobody told me that girls wanted those things and what was and was not appropriate. Like I just, I felt like I was always told that everything wasn't appropriate. My potty mouth, the way that I sat, um, the way that I presented myself as a person. I was always told be a lady that's not appropriate. Um, not with my mom, but I felt from like the church society or, Mm -hmm. you know, just, or my perception of self that I just wasn't Mm -hmm. appropriate. So, um, when I have this boyfriend that I'm way too interested in at 12 years old. I mean, he broke up with me when he went into high school. We were a year apart. And I would lay in bed and listen to Coast and sob at night. I I cried myself to sleep for like a year and a half until we dated again.
1: I had the the same thing. A girl broke up with me when I was 12. And as I look back, I know there's puppy love, but this was like Mm -hmm. crazy Mm -hmm. puppy love. And I realize, looking back, that it was probably related to shit that happened to me and but it was i i mean it here's an example we her name was loretta loretta wilchin (laughs) and we my family went on vacation and you know there were no cell phones back Mm -hmm. then and and long distance was crazy expensive so there was i wasn't able to talk to her on Mm -hmm. the phone so this was 10 days without any contact with her and how sick did you feel uh it was i was so sad and i had just a tiny little postage stamp uh mm-hmm. sized picture of her uh that i would pull out whenever i could and and look at it mm-hmm. and her family um had a business where they would uh fertilize lawns you know they had mm-hmm. the spray you know they mm-hmm. and they had this fleet of gmc trucks that and i would on vacation with my family we'd be driving down the highway and all i would do was look for that type of truck mm-hmm. and when i would see that grill i would get high oh yeah from that grill
0: oh yeah i can remember the color of his mother's minivan <laughs> <laughs> to this day if i see the color of that minivan on that minivan first of all i'm impressed that it's still on the road but it will yeah. still like oh it will make me think of them yeah. for sure for and his mom his mom was amazing I think his mom probably shared a little bit of my story and because we oh, we had a special kind of closeness. and I know, well now because we've spoken as adults, I know she was terrified <laughs> that my son that her son was dating me, but I think she felt a kinship with me mm-hmm. as well. And uh, you know, just that family, that whole, relationship was so it was so intense so did he ever
1: know what had happened to you mm-hmm. and how did he react
0: i <sighs> like a 13 year old boy just like <clears throat> he didn't i got my comfort from his mom yeah yeah i mean he didn't i put a lot on him and like i would tell him things that i considered private and he would tell his best friends and they would make songs about it which because I like comedy over anything, I can kind of find comical. But after the abuse started, and I I think this is also normal, but I remember exploring my body, and I found that I had an extra hole down there. I didn't know what it did. So I found a brush handle and put it inside me. So I tell him this story, and his best friends make this whole song about my love affair with a brush handle.
1: <laughs> that is awful, son
0: uh, I don't understand. I not thought about that forever.
1: <laughs> I don't understand how... Like a doo You could not know you had a hole down there. I would have known before I walked that I had a second hole down there. No,
0: I'm telling you. And then I remember like, wow. And then I like went to the shower and I watched myself pee and practically pissed on my face. And uh, my mom told me that... Of- all of her daughters, I was the only one that peed on her, so I think I must have some crazy urethra. I don't know. <laughs> Just, it's urethra gone wild. I have to be very careful.
1: <laughs> and if I were a woman, I would use every shower as an opportunity to pee standing up.
0: It's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, it would. <laughs> I would do it, and I would have to see how far I could make it pee because I enjoy. I'm so done. That. <laughs> how how could you not? That's the most human thing in the world. I, I'm, you oh. know. 50 years old, and I still, when I'm peeing in a backyard, <laughs> will be like, let me see see how far I can get this thing to go. I and still appreciate that. that I don't have to pull my pants down to pee. You know, I've done it thousands and thousands of times. Yes, yeah. Yes. Anyway, I got <laughs> off track. Um, so, would you be the aggressor with. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's a good term, yeah, but yeah. would you initiate?
0: Um, I think. With him? I think probably probably initially kind of, but I would say at that age, it was pretty mutual. Um, it wasn't until after him that I was always the aggressor and, um, in every, every relationship, I mean, you know, I definitely,
1: and I have experienced that as the guy
0: Mm -hmm. in that.
1: And it, uh, it freaked me out.
0: I I have definitely freaked it out freaked a few me men in my out. life for sure. Do you
1: do you ever feel like you did any crossed any boundaries or did any damage?
0: No. I uh with my support group, uh I you discuss a bit of a sex inventory and basically what I found with it was I had a lot of consensual sex with nice people. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I'm grateful that I don't feel like I took advantage um, of people yeah, because I know what that feels like. But I do know that before I even got to sex, if I was being super aggressive, like I remember making out with a boy in a car, in my car. Um, I must have, I was a senior in high school. And I, I guess two separate boys. I kissed a lot of people apparently. Um, they were the ones to like pull the brakes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like what's wrong with you you know and for whatever reason at 17 i just felt like i was conquering the world and i'm glad that i didn't take that upon myself like oh what's wrong with me it was you are weird moving on mm. um because i think that could have done different types of damage but yeah. i
1: i i know that once i started uh to be found attractive mm-hmm. uh by uh, females, mm-hmm. uh, I I know I caused damage, and that's one of the hardest things for me to live with is um, just knowing that I that I hurt people, that mm-hmm. I was so clueless um, or didn't want to know. I you know I'd like to think that I didn't know because mm-hmm. I don't ever remember ever thinking uh, this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyways. I don't ever remember doing that but after I got sober and looked back I don't know if there's any regrets I have more than more yeah. than that and it often makes me feel like a hypocrite when I talk about to about being a victim sure in other areas of my life um it's a big fear I have is that somebody is going to go oh yeah you know where well, you were a fucking pig mm-hmm. with me how dare you right um but I guess it you know that's the complexity of who we are as people, and
0: you get to educate, which to me speaks volumes about how you feel about that situation. I mean, I'm sure you have enlightened at least one man about himself and what is and is not appropriate, and thinking beyond his own needs in that moment yeah. absolutely there's no there's no doubt in my mind I mean as as a female i don't i mean i mean i i can't speak for those women but i mean that was part of their story and for whatever reason it needed to be part of their story and maybe that taught them to have boundaries or taught them what they were or were not okay with i mean but other than that, I mean, you're educating. Yeah, that's, a,
1: that's a little too silver lining for me to say about my story. Sure. I might be able, if we were
0: talking about, <laughs> sure.
1: if you had been uh, the uh, initiator or the aggressor or whatever sure. you want to talk about. Um, but I want to get back to you. Um, okay. So you're acting out sexually. Uh, y- you find alcohol. Um, you're enjoying the power of your sexuality now Definitely. because you're being able to wield it, as opposed to um, it being used against yeah. you. Definitely. Uh, and did you? You probably had no clue that that's what was happening. No, that was the emotional dynamic. You just probably thought, "I'm kind of pervy, and I have a high sex drive." Absolutely. Did I you am shame? Woman, hear me roar? Did you? Did you feel pride? Did you feel shame? Did you feel a combination of both of those?
0: I felt a combination of both of those until I was 17. I was living, so I moved in with my grandma at fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom and I got into our last physical fight. She wasn't gonna let me work. At, did you
1: sell tickets to it?
0: And I did. Oh my god, three dollars! I'm so disappointed. Minimum wage was low back then.
1: You had all the uh, mobile homes form a square, so that <laughs> there was no peaking.
0: It was it was like a semicircle. Yeah. So I feel like an amphitheater. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was, and I had gotten bigger than her at this point, and I was just. I, in my bones, I knew that I could take her and I almost feel like she knew it too, cause it mm-hmm. stopped and she had dentures cause she's drug addict and she had full set by the time she was 35. And I just had this visualization of like knocking her dentures out and we're on welfare. She can't for- <laughs> afford a new set of teeth. Like I had all these thoughts and I just shoved her against the wall. I was like, I'm done. And my grandma had said that I could move in with her if that was it. I can't go back and forth. I can move in. Mm-hmm. It would be done. I said, you know, called her up, pick me up. I'm done. Packed as much as I could into a duffel bag and was out, and um, that. So then I moved in with my grandma, and I still was a part of this church, and it's and everything I did was wrong, and all of my thoughts were bad, and I was going to hell for everything I was doing. This is
1: your self talk, and.
0: and what reinforced oh, and reinforced yeah. by the church. Be- absolutely because I oh well you know I I slept with my boyfriend and my grandma read my diary and called the pastor and then it was this whole thing. So now everybody knows. And then and, and
1: f- is this the same church that had your yes. uh, grandfather's uh, step grandfather as the elder?
0: Yes. Yeah. It was a huge church. It was like a super church. And um at this point grandpa wasn't there anymore. Um he lost his job. Due to this, but I don't even know how that even happened. Um, b- just because I don't, nobody talked about it. It happened and then nobody talked about it ever again. I didn't talk to the stepmom for like 10 years. Um, just nobody talked about it. Grandpa, nobody. It was just done. And um, at 17, it was like, well, I'm fucking going to hell anyway. Why do I keep putting myself through this torture at church? And so I stopped church and no, and I just, after that, the guilt was gone. I just was self-will run right. Like I just, if it felt good and I wanted to do it, I did. Um, I'm grateful that I learned about AIDS pre-puberty because you can have sex and die. So it always made me an avid condom user and I never wanted kids. So... Well,
1: let's let's stop for a second. Just adjust your, your mic just a tiny bit, a little closer to yourself. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Right there is good. Um, uh, just back up, and what is wrong with, if it feels good, uh, do it?
0: Because you're not, well, in the church that I was in, you weren't supposed to fulfill your bodily needs. It was supposed to be, all about serving the lord and if it
1: i thought you were speaking for yourself as if Mm. it was wrong for you to go pursue pleasure
0: oh mm -mm. okay no i was like nope it feels good i'm doing it you're not
1: hurting anybody it feels good and it's not ruining your life
0: totally Yeah. yeah and back then i didn't think that it was i mean like i found ecstasy my senior year alcohol was way easier to get um and it was just a party you know my best friend had moved, so I had a new best friend for a couple years, and, you know, if I got drunk one weekend, she would do ecstasy, and the next weekend we'd switch so we could keep an eye on each other and be safe. <laughs> you know, That's
1: a pretty fucked up buddy system. It was
0: awesome, though. Nobody ever got diddled. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's we, true, because nobody passes out. Right? No. Or if one person passes out, the other person can, what, uh, hug the, yeah. the, uh, the, the assailant, to the protect would-be all assailant. Orpuses, like, yeah. all,
0: yo, totally. You know? Yeah. It, throw, it,
1: throw glow sticks at them absolutely. until they run away.
0: Just, yeah, chew on their face skin. I don't know. But, um, yeah, we, uh, and she, it's funny, because she had left the church also, and it was like we were these two church girls that just went bonkers. <laughs> like, anything that we could do, we just did uh, together. I,
1: I, nobody snaps like uh, church girls. Absolutely. Nobody. Uh, Catholic school girls, by the time they get to high school, uh, yeah. Some yeah. stay on the, you know, quote-unquote, straight and narrow, but...
0: No. It's some are just like,
1: <laughs> not only... Am I done with this shit? But right. I'm going to make up for lost time. Uh, Where's totally. the acid? Um, all of it. Know, yeah,
0: all of it. So that that was, you know, and, and I and I look back at those times as crazy as they were, like trying to run down the street in a competitive swimsuit and tennis shoes, thinking that it was okay because I was wearing tennis shoes and nobody was going to think I was on drugs at three in the morning. <laughs> Like I'm cool with this, <laughs> right on. What do you mean by a competitive swimsuit? Uh, I like a like a speedo, kind of thing. I oh. swam and played water polo for one one season, but I, I couldn't see. work and do a sport, and I couldn't afford the sport without work, so I had to work.
1: Why were you running down the street? in Drugs. You're high. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kite, okay.
0: Like woo.
1: <laughs> You've just felt free.
0: Oh yeah, and I and kind of a little paranoid. <laughs> so i thought maybe i could run it off
1: oh okay i was gonna say because that seems like the worst outfit if you're paranoid i feel like people are coming to get me
0: i'm
1: gonna get into my speedo
0: totally i was boiling i ended up that that night uh i ended up in the bathtub with cold water Holding a radio, listening to AM because I needed some sort of reality. <laughs> like, if I hear people talking, it's gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not okay. And then I wrote, then I wrote a letter to my mom. That was a dark night. Now that I think about it. Hmm. I wrote a letter to my mom, how I turned out like her, and I was so disgusted with myself. And I found it the next morning. Was like, I'm gonna fold that and put that away. Mm-hmm. I might have even thrown it away. I don't remember. But um, like, once I was awake the next day and not like in a gutter somewhere. I never, no guilt, no regret. I'm, so when's the last time you talked to her? My mom passed away about a year and a half ago, I think it is now. Um, but before that, it was 17 years before I spoke to her. After I moved out, I don't really remember talking to her much. And then she moved out uh, of the trailer park two years after I left. I knew my mom was very unwell. And I felt like if she died before I spoke with her, um, I may have regrets. So I contacted her. and um, Was this after you got sober? It was, yes. um, About a year or so. And and you've been sober five years? Four years. Four years. Yeah. And um, when I went to go see her, I asked her prior to to write down her life story because I wanted to know... What the fuck happened? How are you this fucked up? Like something had to have happened. And so she was all kinds of excited about that. So she wrote down her whole story and I brought my husband and I wouldn't have recognized her. She was so – she had so much fluid in her body that everything was poofy and weird looking. Um, She had emphysema, COPD, um, lifetime smoker. And how old was she? Um, My mother is 60 years old. She died at wow. 60. My dad was 52 when he passed away.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, super that young. is some hard living. Totally. Basically, she told me that she was the fifth of five kids, five girls. Um, her mom was done being a parent. Her dad was an alcoholic and extremely abusive. And he'd come back drunk and beat the hell out of her mom even after they divorced. My grandmother, her mom, who was 1,000 years old. I met her once when she was mm-hmm. 1,001, and that was about it. Um, she gave her to her, her parents. So my mom's grandparents, at some point, my mom lived with her oldest sister. Cause I, there was like 20 years difference there. And, um, at 17, she got pregnant and moved out. You know, she was a lounge singer. She had a really beautiful voice and, uh, she had fantasies of, you know, being famous and she, it was always, You know, I did this or I was supposed to be on that TV show and then it was canceled or she won this award, but it never went anywhere. And she would tell my oldest sister I would have a life if it wasn't for you. So my oldest sister tried to care for all of us and be, you know, the mom, you know, and my mom took my oldest sister out of school her junior year to raise myself and my sister that's eight years older than me. And so she had to graduate from a graduate from a uh, continuation she, school yeah. because of that. And so when my baby sister was born, my sister was like, "I'm not raising another one of your fucking kids," and moved out three weeks later. So,
1: the ripples of not paying attention to your kid
0: mm-hmm.
1: are just unbelievable. It's yeah. it goes on for generations. Totally. Generations.
0: My mom was just an unloved child and always felt it. And she was a firecracker and she could be funny. She's very animated, but at home, I mean, she was just so mean all the time. And I'm sure she was super sad. She was a druggie. Like she had her own story and I'm at a place in my therapy where I'm not looking necessarily for compassion for her, but to see what I have become because of her, even if it's to be the opposite. Mm -hmm. And it's been kind of cool. Actually, I have 31 things written about like specific moments of her being her. And, uh, on Friday, actually my therapist and I went through 13 of them, uh, to things that I didn't necessarily know, like what did I get out of this? Or what did I get out of that? And her ability to, um kind of explain what she thought was really awesome and your therapist I, my therapist yeah. and it's been very enlightening and i'm feeling excited about it whereas being angry all the time and it's cr- exhausting it, it is, is exhausting. exhausting it's it is i would get drunk and try to fight dudes like why do
1: i <laughs> not have a <laughs> trouble picturing that
0: uh, I mean I did it sober as a child but yeah, um, yeah I mean I what was what
1: was your uh, don't let me cut you off but I, I don't want to forget I want to know what your alcoholic bottom was like
0: my bottom I hated myself again you know I had after high school I started working as a waitress and I met this fabulous gay man that made meth look awesome and that was my mom's drug of choice and I always, I could never, I could never. And he just made it look glamorous. And so um, the, after the first line, it had me. I mean, it had me, it had its grips on me. I, it was crazy. I was a daily user immediately. And I did that for a while. And then one day I was looking in the mirror. I had lost like 30 pounds. And I was afraid it was going to kill me. And I... Had turned into my mother again. And I was just so disappointed. And
1: because you looked gaunt.
0: Oh my God. I just looked awful. I was dry heaving bile into the bath or into the toilet. I couldn't, it took me literally 24 hours to eat one slim fast bar.
1: What were the downsides to it? <laughs> <laughs> the I'm just, I'm just here. I'm just <laughs> hearing all positives right here. You, you slim down. <laughs>
0: I, I did my waistline, was amazing.
1: Get to spend time in the God. bathroom.
0: I didn't have to wear eyeshadow. Your free budget was plummets. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I hated myself. And when I quit drinking, and I had a lot of fun drinking, I met my husband when I drank. We had great times. But then it got to the point where I just got angrier and angrier and angrier. And um, a few months before I got sober, Elise, my best friend, and I went to New York and I, every time I got drunk, I was trying to fight somebody in a bar. I was leaving her in bars and I was just this Tasmanian devil. And she was like, I don't know what your problem is, but I can't watch this anymore. I cannot be, her, I can't be there for you. She is a good friend. Totally. You know, some people may go, well, that's not a good friend. No, that is a good friend. Totally. She didn't talk to me for a while and she didn't ride back next to me on the airplane. I needed all of that to get to where I was because I came home and my husband was like, what is wrong with you? Ever since you got back from New York, you're so angry. And I didn't want to tell him about her because I was so ashamed that. About your friend. Yeah, that my best friend wasn't talking to me anymore. And I just got, I mean, I was, I was putting booze in my water bottles at work. I was drinking after therapy and never once did I think that I had a drinking problem. I, I just thought I was a bad person you know and I
1: thought you were weak you know yeah that you're if yeah. I would just had stronger will
0: yeah I could and I tried you know if I do this combination of alcohol or if I do that combination of alcohol um, you know I then then it would work and mm. then I switched only to beer and then there'd be times where I could never get drunk or I would have two glasses of wine and have a blackout and you know I'd wake up and I would do like the one eye and look at the husband i don't know if we're okay and then like if he looked at me and rolled over aggressively i knew crap you know i I messed up and i but i couldn't remember just racking my brain what did i do and um finally we were supposed to go on vacation together it was fourth of july and we hung out fourth of july and i started drinking gin at 11 in the morning and the look on his face of you're drinking gin at 11 in the morning i should have
1: been drinking vodka (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I have a palate, <laughs> And uh, I was like, oh, I really got to maintain. We're at his client's house. Like, I got to maintain. I got to prove that I'm cool. And then later on that night, we're at my girlfriend's house, and he just wants to go home. And I am just verbally berating him via text. Like, you know, you never let me have fun. You never let me this. You're with him in the same house. but you're We're te- a chair apart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is... 21st century douchedom (laughs) at its finest.
0: Dude, douchey McDoucherstein right here, man. I could not... That. Yeah. So, and we ride home on our bicycles, and uh, I am just super angry. And I wake up the next morning, and it's the 5th of July, and I hate him, and I hate myself. And we started marriage counseling, by the way, because Mm. he was the problem. And (laughs) Yeah. yeah, she mentioned... And we rat each other out. And this is the same woman I see now. And she's like, unless you take care of you and you take care of you, none of this is going to work. I can throw every book th- that exists at you people and it's not going to work until you get sober and you handle whatever my husband needed to handle. And I'm like, maybe we don't need therapy. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. And it was the first time that, I had, that it, had brought, it had been brought up to me um, that specifically drinking could have been my problem. And so we decided to not go on the vacation trip we were supposed to go on for the 4th of July weekend. I was trying to get him to go, but he's like, if you're not going to go, I'm not going to go. I just want to be alone. Leave me alone. I started to Google different things in reference to alcohol mm-hmm. and, and how to get help and how to get help. Yeah. And there was a solution that day. And so a support group.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A support group. And I find one that's for women only. And I'm like, I think this is it. And I, for hours, I'm pacing my house. And I don't know where my husband went, but he wasn't there. And I grabbed Fireball because, you know, it's 2012 and it was very important at that time.
1: You grabbed what?
0: Fireball. Oh. It tastes like Red Hots. <laughs> oh, a Fireball. I didn't know yeah, you meant yeah. the candy. The No, it's Fireball is a whiskey.
1: Oh. Yeah. I've been out of the game a while.
0: It's, uh, yeah, it'll put hair on your back. And uh, <laughs> I just you know got as much in my system as I could, and I drove to that support group. And uh, the moment a woman showed me kindness, I wept, and I knew that I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And, um, I didn't have to pick up again after that, so, um, that was four years ago, that was four years ago. so the first year um I ate myself to death in my robe on the couch, dirty looks at the husband, mm-hmm. and like this was when I were everything shut down, like we had zero intimacy, and we hadn't had intimacy for a while because. I was so angry and like, he is not down for angry wife. Like he, mm-hmm. so we had zero communication and I was ready to move out. I had an apartment ready to sign, but we're still going to therapy. And it was like, both of us were still willing. There was some willingness left in us at this point. And, um, we, I mean, we had our worst fights that year. I mean, he, cause we we're actually communicating at this point and, My husband is the nicest, most chill man you've ever met in your life, all the time. Like, he's the coolest guy. And I kept pushing the bear, pushing the bear, pushing the bear. And finally, he, like, grabbed my shoulders and sat me down on the couch really aggressively. And I was almost excited that he had a response because he never Mm -hmm. responded. And he's like, just sit there. (laughs) And he, like, turned around and, like, walked out of the room. And it was the first moment where I realized that he was having feelings, too. And he shared in our next session that, you know, what you're feeling on the outside is what I feel on the inside. And then it just really changed from there. Um, my dad died that first year, and I didn't cry. And then my mom died, and I didn't cry. And I had developed an amazing relationship with my friend's grandfather. And we went out to dinner twice a month. He was the unconditional love that I had never felt, even though my grandma was amazing, she was a very cold woman growing mm. up, because um, she had her own set of crazy abuse. And this man made me feel so important and so loved that when he died, it was actually two years ago last week, that I lost it. I thought I was some crazy sociopath, because I'm like, all oh, these people are dying and I don't care. But this man, he he changed my life. I mean, he was the most incredible man that's ever walked on this earth. Like, he just loved me, for me. He was so proud of me not drinking. He was so proud of, you know, I opened a business in sobriety. Um, I... Can you can you give me a, a snapshot
1: uh, of a moment with him, that, if you can think yeah. of one?
0: He, um, his wife had a tennis bracelet that he had given him, that, that she had given, excuse me, he had given her, and... He met with his grandson, who was my friend, and was and expressed to him that he wanted to give it to me. She had passed away years prior um, because the women in their family didn't really wear jewelry, and he felt that it's something that I would appreciate and as a token of his affection for me. And when he gave that to me, I had to write in this letter because I didn't even know how to verbalize at this point what I was feeling. That at this point, Nobody in my family had any sort of respect for each other anywhere near the way that he respected me and how he saw me. Like, nobody could get out of themselves enough to have that much appreciation, love, or respect, in my perception, for each other. So for him to give me this piece of love that he had for his wife, for me, I mean... I don't even, I wasn't even capable at that time of grasping it. Like I felt so undeserving and so almost guilty for taking this. And I mean, I wear it with pride anytime we go out. um, I mean, I don't wear it every day because I, I don't want to lose it at work, but um, just, it still takes my breath away, you know? And I mean, he would write me notes and cards for every event, I mean, because it's Tuesday. I mean, he mm-hmm. just was this, he just was just this man of love. And when he passed away, 200 people from all walks of life came to honor him. I mean, wh- how, do, how do you live until you're in your 80s and that many people show up? Because you've touched so many people and i'm like i want to be him i want that i want to be surrounded by so much love for the rest of my life and i would say that's been my driving force is that it has to be better it has to be better and one thing that i am the opposite of my mother is that i have the gift of making people feel comfortable and i have the gift of being loving and i do my best to bring that to my life every day because i went so long without it that now it's like it's my oxygen it's my and not like a creepy codependent way anymore it's just
1: i'm glad i'm glad you said that because there is a difference yes giving from a place of abundance rather than giving from a place of fear and emptiness
0: definitely yeah definitely i work with a lot of women and you know When I was younger, it was like, oh, God, I hope you accept me today. Because if you accept me, I can breathe. And if you accept me, I can breathe. And now it's, I get to love you because you're you and I'm me. And it is the most freeing feeling in the world.
1: It's It's the greatest sedative.
0: I still remember that first drink. I mattered. I was pretty. I had value. I could drink more than the boys. Like It was like everything I ever wanted. And now, I don't have to – I have to I, I have to do a lot of things, but it's so much more fulfilling and there's no creepy hangover in the morning.
1: And the things you have to do aren't manipulative yes. things. Yes. They're honest. Yes. Humbling.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Uh,
1: in many ways, counterintuitive to what you want to do that day.
0: For sure. I tr- I try to – well, I, number one, I, I keep in contact with, um, somebody from my support group almost every day. Like that is mm-hmm. number one. I, I need, that's how I hear my higher power is mm-hmm. through another person that has solution that isn't a woe is me. Number one. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I try to be of service mm-hmm. in in a way that doesn't necessarily give me financial gain, whether it's taking somebody to a support group meeting that maybe can't get themselves um, there on their own. Um, I need quiet time. Um, If I don't, if I'm not still, then I am a maniac. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I will run through my life, my husband's life, my business partner's life. Like I'm just a crazy person.
1: And that reminds me of the the phrase that somebody said, uh, and I'm, horribly paraphrasing. Everybody should med- uh, meditate for 20 minutes and people who don't have time should meditate for an hour. Definitely. But Go ahead.
0: Definitely. And I, yeah. I still have a problem being quiet for more than 10 minutes. I mean, being still, I can yeah. be quiet, but like being still. Um, and if I'm struggling with five, I'm not okay. I need to make some phone calls. I need yeah. to do some writing. I need, you know, to go to support group. I need to, you know, make sure that I'm Up with my therapist, you know, talking to my girls because I'm doing only things that are serving me. And as long as I'm thinking about me, we're not okay. No, I am cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs for sure. Yeah.
1: You just uh, described me and millions of other people who have managed to, um, Put together a sane day, totally, with an insane brain. Good. Why, why don't you give me uh, give me three fears and three loves?
0: Well, I did six.
1: You did six of each. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. Give me um, my number one fear is well, one and two are related. My number one fear is having children and resenting resenting them. Mm-hmm. But number two is not having children and being resented by my husband.
1: Those are pretty deep.
0: Yeah. We talk about it a lot. Um, Thinking I could drink again. Um, Well, I could. I just don't think I'd do it very well. Um, Dying in pain or not being ready to die. Wow. You're... you're... But living so long, I watch everyone else die.
1: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Your brain is... I don't even know the word for it. Uh, <laughs> Mine. brilliantly dark and yeah. totally. Yeah. I think 90% of the listeners are going, Oh my God, me too. Me too. Yeah.
0: And then I have my loves. Um, one of my favorite things in the world, um, I'm a personal trainer and one of my favorite things in the world, I train a lot of re- retired people is getting my 70 and eight year olds up and down off the ground. Because they usually come in to me because I've been training their 50-year-old child. They fall over and they can't get up. That's mm. it. You're going to Laura. And that first time that they get down and they're scared and they just pop right back up because we've done all the things they need to do to be able to do it, it changed my life. I can't imagine doing anything else. Wow. When grandma can pick up that cast iron pot and make her stew for Christmas like without your help. I don't think that's, there's anything that compares to that. That's it's beautiful. The cruel, it's a coolest thing it's, without pain.
1: The bad thing is her stew is horrible. It's disgusting. It's horrible. Yeah. It's made with feces. It, it, yes. You would think that she would know that that is a stew killer, but no. she's very set in her ways. Old school. Very set in her <laughs> ways.
0: <laughs> it was free, and you don't let anything go to waste. <laughs> Give me another love. Um, the feeling of coming home. To my husband, because coming home never felt good growing up.
1: That's beautiful.
0: Like, he is home to me. Wow. It's, you know, we've joked that we would never get married again if we weren't married to each other. And there's nobody in this world that's worth fighting so hard for. That's beautiful. He's, I mean, he has his own story. I'll tell you that right now. And I think that's why we fit so well. Mm-hmm. But, like, as I was leaving the house today, I just looked at him I'm like, thank you for being the pot of gold at the end of my dark rainbow. Wow. Like he, uh, he's just incredible. I wish I didn't say like so much, P.S. Yes. I didn't notice. I, oh, it's all I was too
1: busy hating him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's, all, and he's good at everything. Yeah, fuck him. He's Mr. Fix-It. He's great nah, with his we're hands. We're done with him. Very handsome, athletic. There's nothing he can't do. Yeah. He's not very good at golfing. Hmm. And when he drinks, He's nice. Motherfucker, it's super annoying and amazing. <laughs>
1: Your episode is not airing, just to spite <laughs> fuckface.
0: Fuckface, yes, that's yes. Mm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> back to my clients. When want wom- went when wom, when moms get to feel like the woman they're supposed to be after the years of putting their kids and husband first.
1: That's nice. Yeah, that is nice.
0: And it doesn't mean they're not. They're even more amazing mothers and wives when they find themselves again. It's...
1: You got more to give, right?
0: For sure. And they feel And and more energy. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, with husbands, they just want us to be happy. They don't care for the most part what size we are or what's going on there. They just don't want us to be cunty. Like... You like yourself, good. That needs to go in the vows
1: now instead of the <laughs> till death do us part.
0: It, you know, you don't be dicky,
1: you don't be cunty. Pretty much. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's it. And being responsible for your own happiness. The happier I am, the better my marriage is. Mm-hmm. The grumpier I am, the worse my marriage is. The only thing changing is me. He's consistent. Um let's see. Feeling complete after a support group.
1: Yes, it's the best. It's like your battery is recharged and yet it feels like you're recharged and you just got out of a jacuzzi. That's what I feel like. It's like more relaxed and more energy.
0: Yeah. And last is um, if my husband doesn't know that I'm lurking around the corner and he just got out of a shower, I will attack his adorable butt cheek with my teeth. (laughs) He's not a big fan of that one. He'll swat at me, but I just... You just gotta bite it it's just too cute that's what got a ring on his finger <laughs> this is badunkadunk well,
1: i know we have never ended on that one before so <laughs> we have to end on that one now Perfect. uh laura thank you thank you so much for uh, coming and sharing your story
0: thank you i love
1: when uh our paths cross with uh with people in an unexpected way and um I don't know, I just like that. I like that feeling like, well, maybe there's not as much randomness in this in this universe as it feels like when I'm I don't know, feeling cynical. Um before I get to some surveys, uh, I want to tell you guys about probimune. Um did you know that research suggests that up to 80% of your immune system relies on a healthy gut? I know that because I lived with an unhealthy gut for years, and it sucked. My energy was bad. Uh, There were certain foods I couldn't tolerate. Um, If I ate even the tiniest bit of sugar, I would be so bloated, and my gas would be so bad. Sorry to go into detail about it, but I would have to. I would have to rush home and lay on my back because it felt like knives were were getting jabbed into my stomach. And I had no idea that I had an unhealthy gut, that it was out of whack. Um, the people at Young Health know all about this, and that's why they've developed ProbiMune, a liquid probiotic that promotes intestinal health and contains a unique blend of bacteria not found in 99% of other probiotics. Um, They have a fermentation process that ensures that the largest number of good bacteria are delivered alive in the gut because it's not about how many are in the the bottle, it's how many live. Um, It's easy to use easy to travel with, and it does not require refrigeration. Right now, you guys can get the exclusive offer of a free bottle of Probe Immune when you sign up for automated delivery. That's a $34.95 bottle of Probe free. So all you have to do is go to uh and that's spelled P-R-O-B-I-M-U-N-E, and use the uh, code MENTAL at checkout. That's ProbiMune.com and use Mental at checkout. You'll receive your first bottle free, and you pay just six seventy-five dollars shipping and handling. Then each month, Young Health will automatically send you your supply of Probe Immune for $34.95 with free shipping and handling. So go to Probe that's P-R-O-B-I-M-U-N-E, and use promo code Mental at checkout to get your free bottle today. I think you'll like it. Also want to give some love to, uh, Casper Mattresses. Uh, Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission driven, inflated prices. Its award winning sleep service was developed in house and has a sleek design and is delivered in a small, how did they do that sized box? Um, mattresses, can often be fifteen hundred dollars or more, but Casper costs five hundred for a twin, six hundred for a twin XL, seven fifty for a full, eight fifty for a queen, and nine fifty for a king. Um, Casper uh, was a proud sponsor of LA Pod Fest. Um, they've sponsored our show before. It's a great product. Um, it combine combine it combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. So, try it, Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Um, so... Go to casper.com slash mental and use the offer code mental and you'll get 50 bucks towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash mental and using the promo code mental. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, What do we want to start with? Let's start with an email that I got. Uh, This is from, how does she want to be referred to? Oh, she's a Bowie fan. She wants to be uh, referred to as Dark Star, 1988 And she sent me an email. I'm um, 27, uh, female. I'm from Belgium. This is a bit out of the blue, and maybe it was already discussed on one of your episodes. Um, but lately, I've been wondering if I'm asexual. By the way, we do have uh, an episode about that uh, with guest uh, Kelly M., um, Although I haven't really had any sex apart from the one time when I was 19, but that wasn't actually really with consent. It's a bit of a gray area for me um, since I didn't want it, but let it happen more or less just so that I could not be a virgin any longer. I I read that quite a bit in these, in these surveys. Um, when I really think about it, Uh, Sex has never really been a big point of interest. When I was in my teens, I experienced some feelings of lust and did some masturbation. But looking back on it, there weren't actual sexual fantasies attached to it. I just like the bodily sensation of rubbing my genitals on my mattress. Um, If you're going to do that, get a Casper mattress. I haven't had a relationship, and this has also got me wondering if I might be aromantic too since I don't really like the idea of a full-blown relationship, but really love close friendships. At the beginning of this year, I got diagnosed with autism. Do you think this might be causing my asexuality, since I don't like to be touched? Or that my negative first and only sexual experience has got something to do with it? Or maybe the fact that I have severe body issues and low self-esteem. I still don't know what to make of it. Maybe it's too soon to give myself this label when I haven't got the experiences of loving sex in a relationship. It's just that lately I've been reading a lot of things about the ace community online, that stands for asexual, and just recently found out that that there is also such a thing as aromanticism. Um, She asks a lot of questions, but um, uh, I'm I'm really worried that if I do uh, am... If I am asexual or aromantic, it will isolate me even more than I already am right now because of my autism and therefore lack of s- social skills. And I wrote back and said, um, I don't know much about it or the relationship um, of asexuality or aromanticism to uh, trauma. I do know that some people... Uh, who have zero sexual desire also experienced sexual trauma in the past, but as a non professional, I don't know much more beyond that. Um, but my thoughts are regardless of whether or not it's affecting your se- sexuality, it would be good to process that trauma with a professional because trauma needs processing, just plain and simple. And I wouldn't worry about assigning a label to yourself. You know, I think the most important thing is to get in touch. With your feelings and fears and share them with safe people like a therapist and take it from there. Um, and that's one of the things I'm really excited about with, um, the movement for equal rights, uh, in the trans community is it's, I think it's going to ease this desire to have things be neatly categorized. And, um, I'm as guilty as anybody else. You know, some of the surveys I created, um, are are uh, you know the boxes that people can check the The reason why I don't leave the um, gender or sexual preference boxes strictly as um, non-choice, uh, you know, where they can just essay form, put in whatever they want to is because if I ever want to do statistical stuff on this, it would be harder to get numbers um if if the words varied you know if i hope that it, that's making sense because people might write you know for female they might write lady or girl or whatever and then it i can't know exactly how many identify as this i so want to go back and erase that um I'm having a perfectionist angst moment, and I know that none of you can relate to that. So I cast you to hell. And by the way, speaking of uh, old chestnuts, I think right now Herbert's butthole could really best be defined or described as a fondue that knows no boundaries. It is, he's going through something. Um, I don't know if it's a little bug or he ate too many treats, but, um, it's, (laughs) how can something so cute be so foul? This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by quiet things that no one ever knows. And she writes about her depression. Um, my depression feels like having the flu every single day, you know, which is why I, when my depression is kicking my ass, I take naps and I and I say to myself, I wouldn't be berating myself if I had the flu. Well, depression is a flu on your mind and your body and your soul. So be good to yourself. Or I'll cast you to hell. Or make you look at Herbert's butthole. <sighs> Herbert. Your butthole is like a It's like bad butterscotch. I'm sorry that I had to share that with you guys, but I can't keep that in. I can't. About her ADD. I like reading a book one sentence at a time from completely random pages and trying to understand the story. About her anxiety. If there was nothing to worry about, I'd worry about that instead. That is a great one. But being a sex crime victim. Maybe if I was allowed to express anger growing up, I wouldn't have tried so hard to make it okay. I don't doubt that there's a relationship between that i really don't i really don't um Where the fuck is my personality, shares an awfulsome moment. I was in the waiting room of the ER psych department at 3 in the morning waiting for my blood test results, having checked myself in for suicidal ideation earlier that night. It was my first psych-related ER visit. Anyway, as I sat in my hospital recliner, catatonic in a depression so heavy that I couldn't bother to move my eyes to stare at a different tile on the floor, I heard one security guard whisper to another, did you catch that squirtle? <laughs> For those of you that... Uh, that I had to Google this, by the way. I had the feeling it was a Pokemon Go character, and it is. Um, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by Pix, who is agender, um, identifies as straight, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, and uh, claims to be 307 years old. So, first of all, I got a, a tip of the hat, To making it this far, I'm glad you got to see the forming of our country, so you can weigh where it's at now from where it was back then. I'd really like some input from you. And I'm sorry you had to witness a civil war. That must have been really hard. And I'm sorry that you had to listen to Al Jolson. Holy fuck, how did anybody ever enjoy that? Pix right. Uh, Pix was uh, the victim of sexual abuse, and one they reported, and the other they never reported. And why I wanted to read Pix's um, survey is I just found this fascinating. Um, I'm going to read you how uh, her description of her 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 father. Um, And this has nothing to do, uh, he wasn't the person that sexually abused her. He writes, My father, uh, when I was young, had outbursts of rage beyond reason. My mother and my sister and I agree in our descriptions of him that he seemed at those times to be almost outside of his body. During those moments, it felt terrifyingly like anything could happen. He drove the car so fast I would just close my eyes and try not to listen to my mom screaming. Or he punched holes in our walls. I watched him throw my sister, who was just so small when she was young. It still makes me feel like puking to remember. He threw her across the room like a doll once. He chased me down once when I was 14 and sat on top of me, hitting me over and over while my mom screamed for him to stop. When he finally did, as he got up, he kicked me in the side. When he was angry, he would call us into my parents' bedroom for hours-long lectures that we'd have no choice but to silently absorb. Absorbed. He and my mom were high school teachers who didn't trust the public school system and therefore sent me and my sister to private schools, but he often told me what an ungrateful bitch I was, and that he ought to pull me from the school I went to, which I hated and honest and honestly and hadn't wanted to go to in the first place but hadn't been given a choice in the matter and that he should send me instead to the school where he taught so that all the boys could whistle at me when I crossed the parking lot and comment on my ass in the hallway and then I'd know just how worthless I really was. Now, that may have seemed gratuitous that I read all of that. I did that for a reason. To the question, um, have you... Are, had any positive experiences with the abusers um she writes when i was in college my father who had had issues with migraines for years started having nearly constant migraines which precipitated some in-hospital studies that went very oddly if he hadn't already quote been under medical observation during one test in particular that test would definitely have caused a fatal stroke but they were able to get his situation under control quickly He's been very different ever since. My mom says these days that he acts now like the man she married and wonders what was going on in the years in between when he got so angry and said the things he said. During the migraine studies, he received a few brain scans and MRIs that showed large areas of his brain that were darkened or blocked from receiving oxygen. My boyfriend tells me that often MRIs of the brains of violent criminals show the same imagery. My poor dad was struggling to finish a master's degree program, while raising a fo- young family, while coping with, uh. While coping, with the death of, the, of his brother, while dealing with a very emotionally abusive mother, um, while dealing with essentially brain malfunction, he was like a rabid beast struggling to be a family dog. These days, he and I talk on the phone for hours at a time. We have beautiful, thoughtful conversations, and I'm so glad to know him the way I know him now. I feel with him as I do uh, with the friend who defended me um, uh, in the, she's, she's relating to a, a sexual um, trauma she experienced, um, that forgiveness can be an immensely emotionally freeing thing, but it has to grow, of course, from a seed of understanding. I couldn't have for- forgiven either of those people based on simple principle. I had to understand their stories and perspectives in order to let go of my sad feelings surrounding them. In theory, one day I may be able to forgive the men who felt the need to take advantage of my body as well, but for now, for me, that's lower on my list of immediate priorities than healing my own self and body is. I feel like I've learned over time that handling tasks out of order makes for greater difficulties down the line. That that you know, I I'm just so blown blown away by so many things that you wrote, um, by your insight, by your compassion, and most of all by your dad's turnaround. I had no idea, um, but now that I think of it, the guy who was called um, I forget what he was called, but Charles Whitman was a guy who snapped. He was a a, a Marine who had uh, fought in Vietnam and he came back home to Austin, Texas and climbed up um, to a tower um, and he was a sniper in the army. He climbed a a tower at the University the highest point in Austin and just started shooting people. And when they went through his stuff after he was killed, uh, he, in his diary, um, I believe it was his diary, he had been writing saying Something is wrong with my brain. Something is wrong with my brain. I don't know what it is, but I feel like something is 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 pushing me towards this violence that is violence that is beyond my control, and I don't know what to do. And they did an autopsy on him, and he had a growth in his um in his brain. Uh, David Ice writes about his ADD. My mind feels like a Rubik's Cube being played poorly about his alcoholism and drug addiction. Alcohol keeps my fear and sadness in check the same way a car will crash on a racetrack rather than going off a cliff, but I never think to get out of the car snapshot from his life. Recently, I've been driving to work and on the way there, I'm worrying about being in an accident and then driving home after work, wishing I would be in an accident. I imagine both these things vividly every day now. Um, you know, my thought as I'm reading this and, and I'm not trying to, uh, I just can't keep my mouth shut. So my thought, I'm trying to imagine myself feeling what you're feeling and just the, 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 the word perfectionism popped into my mind that maybe there's a fear on your way of going to work that, you know, being late is going to be a catastrophe because if you got in an accident, you'd be late or, you know, losing the money of, you know, having to uh, fix your car. Um, and then on the way home, I had this image of your quote-unquote mistakes that day at work pushing you to a point where you wanted to get in an accident because you felt like the world was over because you weren't perfect. So, I don't know. I could be completely wrong, but um, here's a thought. When you have these fears, these desires, the desire to, um, the fear of getting in an accident, um, really look into that fear. Really think about it and think, okay, if I got in an accident, then what? Then what would happen? And then write down what you think would happen, and then what would happen after that. And a lot of times, we can see the way that we catastrophize things when we have to write it down on paper. And almost every time I've done it for myself, it's because I'm catastrophizing something to ridiculous points. You know that I'm going to be late. Uh, you know for this appointment, um, and it feels like death to me that I'm going to be late. And when I write the fears down, it's like, oh, I'm afraid that if I'm late, this person's not going to be my friend anymore. Then I'm not going to have enough friends. Then I'm going to be lonely. Then I'm going to get depressed. Then I'm going to not be able to do my job. Then I'm not going to make any money. Then I'm going to be poor. Then I'm going to lose my teeth. And then I won't know how to eat corn on the cob. And you think I'm kidding. I'm really not. Um, So I don't know, just some thoughts about perfectionism and catastrophizing because I think the two are really, really closely related. Esther writes about her ADD. Um, Sometimes when I'm kissing my husband, I get distracted and forget what I'm doing. And you know, along the lines of the other one, I could be totally wrong. I'm not a professional, but I wonder if it happens a lot when you're kissing your husband, maybe you're dissociating. Um, If you have a therapist, that might be something to, to talk about um maybe something happened um that you're minimizing and again i am not a professional but i was on basic cable for 16 years and i one time cooked really good chili for a robot movie that has to count for something uh this is filled out by nickname uh and i just wanted to read actually i'm going to i'm going to read all of this one um She is in her 40s, mostly straight, um, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, uh, never been sexually abused. um, And I just find this one really fascinating. Uh, She writes, "Um, I've never been sexually abused, but about 15 years ago, my mother told me that she thought she might have been sexually abused by her father. She couldn't really remember. Finally... I understood why I never met my grandfather and why she never wanted to talk about him. She then told me that she always felt like she had to protect me from my father and she never liked to leave us alone. She said she was sorry because unlike her father, mine was a good man and would never hurt me. When she told me all of this, I suddenly understood why I had always had an awkward relationship with my father. I suddenly understood why simply hugging him or sitting close to him always felt uncomfortable. I suddenly understood why men felt scary to me when I was little. However, I can't say I was shocked to find out my mom had been molested. I had lost my virginity a few years before this conversation with my mom, and it was horrible. It hurt like hell, and I cried, but I wanted to get it over with, so I let my boyfriend finish. Afterwards, he asked me, what happened to you? I didn't understand what he meant. He said that it was obvious I'd been raped or molested or something. I was shocked and denied that anything had ever happened. He didn't believe me. I thought long and hard about it. I ran through a list of relatives in my head over and over again, and then the following explanation popped into my head. I think something happened to my mom. Remember, this was years before she revealed her experiences to me. I didn't understand how I knew or why it would affect me, but I knew in my gut that it was the truth. I'm sharing this story because I think it's so important for people to understand that kids pick up on so much. I'm sure my mom just wanted to shield me from any pain or trauma, but in the end it just kind of seeped into me. I'm only now beginning to understand that while I wasn't actually physically abused, I still ended up suffering many of the emotional effects of abuse, like depression and issues with emotional and physical intimacy. It's really confusing to relate so much to sexual abuse survivors without actually being one. I just found that fascinating. Just absolutely fascinating. And I would love to know what uh, any researchers or therapists um, think about this. Or anybody, really. She's never been uh, physically or emotionally abused. Um, and she... I, I don't think I need to read her her uh, sexual fantasies. But they're really common. Um, and she's very ashamed of them. And they're so not a big deal. And she's just beating herself up about it. And um, she writes, sharing my sexual fantasies makes me sad because I can't imagine ever being rid of them or ever being able to accept them. Um, Please don't think I'm disgusting because I have these thoughts. Um, And then how do you feel after writing this stuff down? I'm crying because even when I have tried to write about this stuff in my journal, I have always ripped out the pages and destroyed them because the thought of them ever being discovered is so scary you are so not what you think you are. And I just want to send you a hug and you know, one of the things she's worried is that sometimes when she's with her partner she goes into these fantasies in her in her head. And you know, there are lots of partners that would enjoy exploring those fantasies with you and that might even bring you closer to your partner. But You are not a bad person. You are not a weird person. Um, Sending you some love. This is an awful moment filled out by typical Wisconsinite. Uh, If it is a typical Wisconsinite, um, this was typed up at a bar. He writes, My grandma's 85th birthday was coming up, so I gave her a call to see if there was anything special she wanted to do. I thought nothing of it. She usually wants to do something mundane, like we need to go to Walmart because I'm running low on Ziploc bags. Yes, that's a verbatim quote from her. Anyway, this time she says, oh, can we pick out a new headstone? I don't really like the one I have right now. She said this in the same tone as if she asked, can we get gas at the Shell station instead of the ExxonMobil? So the following week I drove up to her place, we eat lunch, then go to the mortuary to pick out a new headstone, like it was nothing. She's friends with the funeral director and apparently has been picking a new headstone every few years since the late 90s. Happy birthday, Grams. This is so fantastic. You know, if you're going to if you're going to compulsively shop about anything, you might as well do something that takes a long time to make and a long time to go out of style. Um I wonder if in the 70s she had, her headstone uh, had that rollerball font. A moon-shaped pool writes about his uh, mother. Uh, feeling a sense of kinship with the woman who called you to tell you your mother is trying to have an affair with her husband. Oh, I can't imagine how fucking painful that must have been. Snapshot from his life. I have fairy. Five very good snapshots that describe my inappropriate mother. Um, Being told, I feel like I'm sleeping with your father while sharing a bed with her since we had family over and there was no more space. Uh, Hearing weird noises coming from her room and walking into her masturbating in front of a camera, the door was wide open. Uh, catching a glimpse of her vagina right up close when I was a teenager. She had had surgery and I had to help her dry herself off when she'd take showers. Uh, telling my mom as a kid that if it meant her never having met my dad, I wish I would have not been born. I was a fucking kid. Uh, her sharing with me that when she'd have sex with my dad, she'd often cry because of how bad it'd feel. I was eight or so. Years later, I found out that meant rape. Oh, and a bonus track, having to ask my mom whether or not I was a rape baby. Um, the things that she did are so, so straight up incest, badly disguised incest, um, I'm going to venture to guess none of those things were accidental. I'm going to venture to guess that she could have easily found a different way uh, to dry off and getting out of the shower. Um, I'm going to venture a guess that um, she was making those noises so that you would discover the open door. Um, And I'm really sorry that you had to experience all those things because it is every bit as damaging as your mom actually grabbing your penis. Um, And there is a private support group um, for people who have been sexually abused by mothers. And um, if you contact me, I can tell you more about it. But buddy, I I am giving you a big hug and sending you lots of love. And you are so not alone. You are so not alone. Foreign um, shares a snapshot from her life. Her issues are anxiety and codependency. And she writes, I made a small mistake at work that could be easily fixed, but that did not stop me from having a panic attack. The thought of being without a job and not being able to provide for my family makes me lose my sleep sometimes. The only problem is that I don't have children. It's my mother and brother that I'm talking about. Uh, She she have i think i think uh yeah they're i don't think english is their first language she have been unemployed for a couple of years and in her age is hard to reposition herself well my brother difficult temperament make makes him be professionally unstable in my culture you have to provide for your family i do not wish to cut contact with them because they give me the emotional support that i need but i also know that i can't do this anymore um it sounds like there's two conflicting things going on because it it you know you say that they're emotionally supportive yet it sounds like you're you're bearing the brunt of all of this on your own which is not being emotionally supported um I don't know I don't know but the future tripping that you're doing, I think a good book uh, to read would be A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And if you go to that link I talked about, the Amazon link on our homepage, um, and click on it, you'll see the books we recommend and you can buy it um, through there, through Amazon, but um, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, Menopausal Humpty Dumpty writes about her anxiety. I can't wait to get into the bathroom stall, elevator alone, on uh, the car or hide in bed to escape the anxiety of being with people. But once I'm alone, I'm incapacitated by my eviscerating depression. By the way, eviscerating depression was my favorite, uh, child singing group on Star Search. Uh, I think many of us relate to this one. That, it's weird. It's like, uh, you know, the, It's like a sandwich. Uh, Leave me the fuck alone is the piece of bread on top. Where the fuck is everybody is the piece on the bottom. And in between it is just this delicious 15 minutes of being left alone uh, before it turns. Until you feel the scaly hand of death beckoning you home. That might have been a little unnecessarily dark. Angry and depressed shares an awfulsome moment. I'm living abroad, so my father used this as an excuse to come tour around the country. He insists I meet him at the airport and carry his luggage, even though I don't have a car and it would take me a couple of hours to get there by subway. I initially tried to say I didn't want to meet him, but then I thought he's my father and I should be nice to him. Uh, On the way there, I come down with food poisoning and have to step off the subway for a few minutes to avoid passing out. I get there and help him and his girlfriend carry their luggage all the way back to his hotel. At the hotel, he tries to order me to wash some of his clothes and bring them to him in another city a couple of weeks later. Then on the way to the restaurant for dinner, he says, You should dress more conservatively when you come by the hotel because they might think you're a hooker. That caught me off guard because I thought for sure you were going to shit yourself somewhere. And I was kind of hoping you were going to shit on his uh, suitcase or his clothes. Thank you for that. Uh, daytime is for napping. Uh, shares a happy moment. Um I was coming out of a three month nervous breakdown. I'd lost 30 pounds. My hands shook. I'd been stuttering and chain smoking. I had fucked things up enough that I had to retreat to my parents' house for a few weeks. The day I returned, I was very, I was still, uh, very on edge. I was anxious and humiliated thinking everyone had seen me lose my mind. A neighbor was riding his bike up the sidewalk while I was sweeping leaves. We are both artists and he once ran a gallery that I showed with a few times. He stopped to say hi and I was very nervous. I felt embarrassed thinking he could see how messed up I was. We ended up talking for a while. I remember smiling, even laughing and making him laugh a couple of times. When we said goodbye and he rode off, I was elated. It was the first time in months that I had a normal conversation. I was half amazed that it could happen at all. I couldn't believe that I passed, that to him I seemed perfectly normal. That was the first time I felt like I was going to be fine. I would join the land of the living again, and no one would know that I had been gone. And I hope, I hope you find some people that you can share that with, so you can let go of some of that shame. You know, it's like being ashamed that you got, you know, The flu. Young cat lady. um, I'm just going to read a a part of her shame and secret survey. Um, She was sexually abused by her father when when she was little. And... um, she writes, Darkest Secrets, I do not want to tell anyone, but I am deeply ashamed of not being able to bring my father to court at the moment. I feel like a statistic and I'm horrified at the idea that he abused other children. Of course, what my father did to me is part of my secrets. Um, I also get turned on by written, non-consensual porn if the suffering of the of the victim is depicted in a realistic manner. I have told no one about this as I am worried of being judged or seen as a potential rapist for it. Uh, while in actu- actuality, I'd feel horrible uh, at something as small as unwanted hand-holding. Well, I think you, you answered your own... You gave yourself uh, any advice that, that we would have right there. But I wanted to just say, beating yourself up because you are not prosecuting somebody is just a way of traumatizing yourself over again. There, It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It is about what is safe for you now. You know, it wasn't safe for you then. And the most important thing is that it is not your responsibility to prosecute, punish, whatever, your father... That is his fault. Those were his actions. And I understand that that's why you feel that way. But people who have survived the kinds of things that you have survived, a lot of them struggle to even get out of bed and to share with somebody else Because there's so much fear, so much shame, so much terror of of the unknown of what's going to happen if I speak this truth. And the thought of going to court where you're going to be cross-examined? Fuck. I don't know how anybody gets up the nerve to do that. So I hope you can stop being so hard on yourself. and uh, Because I'm never hard on myself. Oh, depressed for life. He he has to be a cutler. Um, That's a term for uh, fans of the no longer, except occasionally, uh, produced podcast, Walking the Room, with the brilliant Greg Barrett and Dave Anthony, both uh, former guests on this show. One of the greatest podcasts ever. Anyway... Um, I'm getting off track. You'd think I was interviewing a guest about his depression. Every day, people ask me how how I'm doing. I'm tired of lying, but if I told everyone I cry myself to sleep every night, I would lose that last bit of social interaction, which is all I have left. And first of all, buddy, I want to send you a hug. And the second thing is I want to say you don't have to tell everyone. All you have to do is start with one person. Just start there. You know, our our black and white thinking is so insidious, and we don't even see it. We don't even see it. And I think that's just your black and white thinking, that if you tell one person, you have to tell everybody, and you don't. In fact, it's probably not a good idea to tell everyone. Because some people can't handle it. Um, yeah. And we also filled down another one. Look at this. Back to back. I didn't even notice. Um, about just depression. By the time I learned what it was, it had already become one of my personality traits. I cannot envision myself as not being depressed, so I cannot seek treatment as that would, quote, kill the only me I've ever known. That is like saying, I don't want to get off this desert island because I really enjoy Bob's company. Get off the island. Trust me. That, That old you... Will be, you can that, access that anytime you want. Trust me. Um, but you can't imagine how expansive, not in a scary way, in a beautiful way, your life can be if you seek help. And keep going when you feel like it's like you're ready to give up. I've wanted to give up so many times, and I don't know why I didn't. I don't know why I didn't, because I'm a quitter. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm glad I didn't. And if you like this show, hey, a good way to pay it back would be to not quit. That would make me extremely happy. Anybody listening right now who's really thinking about quitting therapy or killing themselves or... Just stick it out. That would be the best donation you could ever make to the show and then email me and tell me about it. Or go fuck yourself. You see what I did? I made it all tender and vulnerable, and then boom, I punched you right in the balls. And I and I punched the ball so that I, I punched it from the inside of the ball so that it would push up against the upper thigh and it would hold it, almost like one gangster holding a guy while the other gangster punches him. And then I just flattened your ball. Just flattened it. Just into a perfect circle. And then when I could see that it was a perfect circle, not to be confused with the band, I pulled my hand back, and it was like punching a sponge cake. I don't know if I am good at this or I am horrible. That's what my brain is telling me right now. That was pretty funny. No, it wasn't. That was pretty funny. Oh, Paul, dude, you are lame. Liz us <laughs> listen to some Boston. Three in a row! You know what month it is, buddy. It's Rocktober. About his perfectionism. I need to find the perfect treatment before I'm willing to try any, so I read and research and read, but never do or try. Uh, snapshot from his life, whenever I meet someone new, almost everyone eventually says I should smile more. No one ever stops to think or ask why I'm not smiling. That is so true and so profound. You know. be like that would be like saying to a blind person, "Have you ever tried squinting?" This is an some moment filled out by stress fractured. She writes, I just had my life ripped out from under me. The verbally abusive man I was in a very codependent relationship with told me it was over again. I was about 90% moved in to his place at the time. So that night, a totally numb state, in a totally numb state, I threw all my belongings into garbage bags and cried all the way back to the apartment I shared with my sister, who was 12 years younger than me she helped me lug the bags up the stairs and once we plopped the last bag down into my bedroom one of my vibrators started going off and of course this one lights up so the pulsating pink glow and the undeniably familiar shape shone bright through the white plastic trash bag we both started laughing anyway there's that i said she said welcome home I would so love to hear Paul Harvey read the awfulsome moments. I don't imagine he's around anymore. Stronger Now shares an awfulsome moment. Uh, Also with a relationship. I've been struggling to break free from a relationship with this guy who was uh, mentally and sexually abusive for about a year in college. Uh, Only my best friend, female, knew the details. About a week after one of the times I had managed to push him away, I was at a house party and tripped walking on flat ground, and my hand went through the window. An ambulance took me and my best friend to the hospital. As I was in the back of the ER, I was a bit out of it due to the, to the loss of blood, but I noticed a nurse say something to my friend, and she disappeared for a moment. Um, and Apparently, the, the nurse had said something shitty. Uh, The next thing I know, this normally quiet friend was shouting at the top of her lungs, no, you don't get to be here for her. You treated her like shit. You don't deserve to be here. So get out of here. It went on like this for five minutes. Hearing her have a voice for me at a time when I couldn't seem to find my own was so incredibly valuable and empowering to me. It's been years, but I can never forget it. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Alright, I may have to, ha, has to fast forward here because I'm uh, I'm losing steam. Alright. I'm going to What are we at? 158? I'm sorry, Herbert. I cannot make the three the the three hour mark. Um I'm gonna read two more. Um for what for those of you keeping count? God, you are such an asshole. Manic at the Disco gives us a uh, snapshot uh, of her depression, anxiety, love addiction, and being a sex crime victim. Talking to my therapist about my relationship with my mother and how she was intrusive in my life with no boundaries, one moment. And then the next moment was too busy to even talk to me for a minute. If I ever upset her, she would cry and yell, and my father would step in and make me apologize, even if the response she was giving me wasn't warranted, even if she was wrong and I was right, even if I hadn't meant to upset her. I walked on eggshells around her. I felt like my love was contingent on being there for her when she needed me, but taking care of myself and my needs alone when she didn't. I was a convenience child at best, adopted at four days old to fill her needs when my dad would be on business trips, which was often. He was an airline pilot. I was not there for my welfare, but for hers. Now I realize that all of my unhealthy relationships, my love addiction, and my lack of attraction to the stable, loving man my ex-husband is are due to my fucked up relationship with my mother. How do I get out of this? How do I stop running into the wood chipper, dating abusive narcissist after abusive narcissist and thinking they are the love of my life? Why can't I just find safety and security and stability to be my happy place? Um, because love addiction is a an insidious, complicated, 800-pound, Gorilla-rooted and really complex childhood shit that doesn't come up all at once. That's my take. Um, I would read the book uh, Facing Love Addiction by Pia Melody, and uh, we have it on that Books We Like on our um, Support the Show uh, Buy Stuff page. And... I would jump on that, and I would look into a a support group for, um, Love Addiction. I think you'll find so many kindred spirits there, and I hate myself for using the word kindred spirits. Should we end the show on that? One more. Slow Joe. I think I play, uh, Scrabble with Slow Joe. Uh, this is a happy moment, and, um... He writes, I'm a single father of a four-year-old, and this week I was terribly ill with the flu. I had dropped my kid off at daycare on a Friday, called in sick to work, and returned home to rest and eat soup. Around 2 p.m., it became apparent that I wouldn't be able to take care of my kid the rest of the day. My mom abandoned and abused me in many ways when I was a child. A year and a half ago, I started putting up strong boundaries in a last-ditch effort to not sever contact. Those boundaries finally paid off when at 2 p.m. I asked if she could care for my kid so I could rest and get better. Within one minute, she replied to my text, what time do you need me? She picked up the kid and the soup I specifically asked for and didn't drop off anything else, not tissues or cough syrup or 7-Up or crackers, just the soup. It's hard to articulate articulate how bringing only what I'd asked her for is so important, but it is. It signaled that she understands that I know what is best for me, and she helped in exactly the way I needed. Tonight, two days later, in the middle of yet another dramatic misunderstanding between me and my girlfriend, uh, she dropped off emergency, uh, a vitamin C supplement in my mailbox. I didn't ask her to. I specifically said two days ago that I didn't want it. I'm going to use the model of successful boundary setting with my mom to start setting them with other women. It's just as scary, and hopefully, will be as rewarding. You know what I love about this? There's a gazillion things I love about this. That this is what this is what recovery looks like. These little baby steps. It's it's just doing little things like this every day. And sickness is just saying, oh, it's not worth it. It's too much of a hassle. And yeah, there are some things that we should just kind of let roll off our back. But um, I love that he found one that was too important to let roll off his back, that he wasn't being listened to, that that his mom had fallen into the habit Of assuming that whatever her needs would be in a situation, whatever she would do in a situation, would be what he should have or he should like. And I I just think that's so fantastic. And yet, I hate when you beat me at Scrabble. So I don't know why I read your fucking survey, your big fancy words. Fucking asshole you know what, I hope your mom violates every boundary you've ever set. And as she does it, she says, did you really think I was going to respect your boundaries? And then she pushes you, and you fall on your iPad, and I never have to play you again. Unless I'm thinking to somebody else, and I've been beating you in Scrabble, in which case, I wish you all the best. And thank you for your survey. Um listen I have to wrap it up I have to go hate myself in the other room Herbert sends his butterscotchy best Um I hope you heard something that helped you in all seriousness I hope you heard something um in our episode tonight that inspired you or you know distracted you entertained you uh gave you hope let you know that you're not alone because you are not alone. And I really appreciate um, all the ways that you guys support this show. And thank you for listening.
0: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know bizarrely fucked up in some weird ways. Bizarrely whip. beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. <laughs>